Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. We are the boys in white and blue, and we're back with another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Bender. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And what a weekend of football action. What a performance. What a win. It's just what we needed. Oh, sorry, I'm reading my notes for Glory Days of Gold, our East Fife podcast, (laughs) because East Fife came away with a massive 2-0 win in a relegation six-pointer against Dumbarton, dragging them now to within three points of safety. It's incredible because we were about nine or ten points out of it just a few weeks ago. Maybe we should spend some time breaking that down. It might be better. It's nice that one of my shows... It's felt like the first time for a while, one of our shows, I'm going to have some some fun positivity to talk about. So tune into Glory Days Ago if you want to hear about that. But we're not going to talk about that here. We're going to be looking at Vancouver Whitecaps and their latest loss down in Texas to Houston Dynamo. We'll be breaking down that match. We won't go too, too deep into this one because we've got a jam-packed show. We'll be looking around MLS. We'll be looking a little bit ahead to the LAFC game next weekend. We've got two excellent feature interviews for you in this episode. We're going to be speaking to Whitecaps centre-back Tristan Blackman, standout defender for the Whitecaps in the first three games, and he's heading back to his old club LAFC next weekend. Then we're going to be chatting to former Whitecaps assistant coach Philip DeSantis, the man in charge of CPL side Valor FC now. And we'll be talking to him about life in Winnipeg and heading back to take on the Whitecaps in Canadian Championship action. But in this part, we're going to kick things off looking at the Whitecaps against Houston. No TVOD again this week because it is such a, a busy show. It was an interesting afternoon in Texas, Zach. 2-1 defeat for the Whitecaps. They got their first goal of the season. Looked like a game that they should have got something out of, but ultimately ended the game empty-handed and ended the weekend bottom of the West. Yeah, as I was breaking down the game and, and looking back on a, a couple of well, the, the, the biggest plays of the game that led to goals, the, the central figure of the match is clearly Lucas Cavallini. Lucas Cavallini was at the yeah at the center of of all three goals, 
he was involved in uh, giving away a free kick that led to uh, the first goal for for Houston. He was uh, he was involved in uh, giving away the ball for the second goal for Houston. And of course, I don't know. I blame cool. Ryan Goldmore for that, but we'll come to that. <laughs> I think the pass the pass was behind. It wasn't it was a, a great quick, pass. <laughs> it was a quick it was a quick play, but the pass was way behind Ryan Gold. But anyways, um, for me, that, that I mean, he's a central figure in, in the whole game. But he also scored a great goal. He did, and. Um, you could see how much you how much he enjoyed that, and I think so. Yeah, for me, the, the focus point or the central point of this the whole game is Lucas Cavallini, and closely followed by, of course, um, Darwin Quintero. Steve, how did you come away feeling from this one? Um, it was it was a promising start, obviously, uh, with the opening goal uh, in the first fifteen minutes, which I don't think we saw at all last year. I can't remember if we saw a goal in the opening fifteen minutes of a game. Uh, but uh, we did, I yeah. think, but not many. No, I, I, it was rare. It was rare to see a goal in the first half, I think. Uh, but um, I, I just the the biggest one was like for me, like like I, I don't recall the Lucas Cavallini giving up the thing, but even if he did give up the free kick, um, that's something you know. The the Whitecaps were not prepared. For what came afterwards, mm. and and the fact that the you know the zonal marking and open play on that first goal, uh, that probably was the biggest disappointment for me. Yeah, but I mean the free kick was it like it wasn't just giving up a free kick. It was a, a really bad, like a really poor attempt at. Def- it was a, he fouled the player from the from the, like from the other side, and, like, and that's was- something you expect from Lucas Cavallini. But I expect the Whitecaps to be prepared. For yeah, uh, they should be able play. to defend it better. Yeah, there oh, was no defense I, at all. Oh, I yeah. hear you on I hear you on the defending. I, 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 a professional I, footballer Zach, should Zach, know Zach, be able Zach, to I get, I, I get you want to do a theme with Lucas Cavallini, but overall the second goal was not well, yeah, sure. You could give him like maybe 10-15% of the fault, but let's give it to the people who deserve it. Let's move on. So there was just one change to the white cap starting lineup, and that was Pedro Viti coming in, which was exciting. Slight change in formation as well. They went for 3-4-2-1 with Viti and Gold behind Cavallini. Kind of enforced with Brian White having calf tightness and not making the trip down. Concerning for sure that that White is still struggling with with these injuries. And we've also got Godoy out at the back with, with calf stuff as well. So hopefully White can get himself healthy because gold as well hasn't been playing fully fit either and it hasn't been confirmed exactly what gold's little niggle is so he hasn't been at his full fitness levels for the first two games basically because of that and it has shown i mean let's be honest he hasn't had a a great start to the season but i i I was excited to see vtn zach and we're going to jump ahead here before we get even get to the goals, but he lasted 24 minutes before having to get taken off with concussion protocol. And there was a lot of confusion about this, but what it seems to be is he kind of mentioned to the referee or the officials that he, he was dizzy. And that kind of signaled the start of the concussion protocol. We didn't see much of him, but there was a couple of little flashes there. I liked what I saw. I'd have loved to have seen. Does anybody what- know when the injury happened? No, I'm not sure. Someone also mentioned, and I forgot they did this, that in rugby, you can actually go off for a 10-minute concussion like check yeah, and a player will can. come on for you. Yeah, and you then if you're that. good to come back on, you can come back on. But 
I'd have liked to have seen more of that front three. Could it have been the, the difference in the game? We'll never know, and we can speculate. I think they could have got some more stuff going because there were certainly some nice flashes there. Well, with that with that lineup, they were they they basically won the game. They, they were they outscored the uh, Houston one nothing with that lineup. Yeah, we should just and have they, called the game there. Yeah, we should have called the game. But let, let's get into the first goal. Forty minutes in, some some nice interplay. Gold played it out to Dahomey, who had switched back to his proper right hand side. Great ball in from Dajo. in a great wing position. Yes, Kava, where you want him to be. In the six-yard box, finish in off the post, celebrates by headbutting the ball, and then interestingly running over to the bench, hugging Vanny and Vanny. I can't lip read, but whatever Vanny's basically saying to him, like I told you, you could do this or whatever. And as I mentioned the last week's show, Vanny did promise me that Cava would score last week. He was close, just yeah. a week out. It, I mean, this was we talked about this last week. How Vanny has this uh, infatuation with starting with inverted wingbacks, right? Mm. And this this play happened at about the 11th minute mark. They switched. So they started inverted, Guti and, and Dajo, and then they switched. And this play happened three minutes after the switch. Dajo takes a free kick, or sorry, takes the throw in and gives it to Gold. And Gold does a kind of a double one-two with Russell Tybert. I know Russell Tybert sometimes doesn't get all the a lot of credit for some of the stuff he does, but some good interplay with him and Gold who then, you know, pays the through ball to the, the overlapping Dajo, who puts in the nice cross for, you know, for Kava to get on the end of. And and Kava getting on the end of it, right? I mean, and this was a lot of talk in the post game. I know people brought it up in the post game about, and we talked about this a lot. I know Mark DeSantos talked about this a lot, about, about Kava getting in the box to get on the yeah. end of things. Um, it was, I don't know if you guys noticed, it was kind of interesting that, some of the questions that were answered with like um, Vanny, it was interesting to hear uh, Kava answer some questions where he's like, oh, like the coach is giving me the ability to come back and get the ball and do some, like the, the answers didn't, weren't super, you know, congruent. Well, yeah, because JJ had tweeted out, why is Kava coming back 30 yards to collect a ball? Because it's like, when you're the lone striker, you should not be doing that. But that does show the ineffectiveness of the midfield, which we will be, coming to but I mean it it was a good goal hopefully this can spark something in Kava because I've said before he can be a streaky player and he can go in these runs so fingers crossed this is something that that gets him going and it's definitely a a weight off his off his shoulders but he has to keep it going he can't just have one and then have another three four five games where he he doesn't get anything but it, it was great Great play. And just going back to the inverted wingers quickly, I, I asked Vanny about it during the week right. and I was going to put the audio on the show, but I'll maybe write a piece about it next week. And I, I still don't think it works, but Vanny feels that you can get some some good attacking play from them by doing that. But well, well he, he wants them to come inside. Yeah. What he wants, which is kind of weird when you have a Cavallini in the middle. Yeah. They, but they come inside and, and then try and change foot and it's like, uh, yeah. I don't know. But I mean, after that, the, the Whitecaps looked comfortable. I, I was feeling pretty confident because let's be honest, Houston are not a good team. And they, they, had, a, they had a chance and Flo had a good block of a shot and Hassel had a, a save and Hassel had a couple of saves in, in the, the early goings as well. And I, I spoke to Vanny during the week 
and I mentioned this on last week's show, that from sitting watching the first two Houston games, the only guy that had any spark for them was Darwin Quintero. Hmm. And he'd come on as a sub, limited time in those first two games. And from what Nagamura had said after that second game and during the week, I had a, an inkling that he was going to start this game. And I think Vanny did as well. And it was interesting at training this week that Vanny tried a number of different players and a number of different uh, positions and formations to kind of see what he wanted to go with with this. I mean, I spoke to him about Quintero during the week. He he knew that he had to be a guy that they kind of had to, if he was starting, that they had to really take take control of him. And they certainly didn't, because against Columbus in week one, it was like the Zilla Ryan show. Hmm. This was the Darwin Quintero show, Zach. He he yeah. was he was I was gonna say he was excellent. His two goals were excellent. He had a couple of other flashes. He he was good today, but the Whitecaps helped him be good. Yeah, I mean he's like he's like talismanic, right? He's he's kind of red hot or or super cold. He's a frustrating um, player. Like if you're a Houston fan, you'd be like, why are you not doing this week yeah. in week out? And, and he's also I think a bit tempestuous too, right? Yeah, because at Minnesota as well, he was like peaks yeah. and troughs. I, I don't, I don't think, think him and Adrian, and, Heath. Yeah, and Adrian Heath are like a great combination as a player no. and coach. No, it was not surprising to see him move <laughs> on, even though he was a significant tr- contributor there. But um, And obviously he's a little bit older now, and um, so far Paulo Nagamura seems to be using him uh, in like a limited role, right? He had like a 24-minute yeah. appearance, a 20-minute appearance, and now he started and played 60 or 70 minutes or whatever it was. Um, I mean, if, yeah, if you're if you're a Houston Dynamo fan, like he is a player, even though he's older, you hope that Nagamura can decipher when to get the best of him and how to get the best of him, right? Because, yeah, he, I don't think he's a, he's not a player who's going to start 30-plus games a year in MLS at his age. Plus, he's also... I don't know if he's actually given a free role to, to roam where he wants. Well, yeah, because after or, the game, he was talking about, oh, I really enjoyed my free role that I had today. And I'm like, did he have that? <laughs> well, well, he played like he did. But, yeah, I mean, in the in the, the, the lineup chart, he's on the right side of the three in the midfield, right? Yeah, he's, exactly. And he was always up top of the box a lot, too. So yeah. he was all over the place. And he was on both sides. He was going for, like, his first chance, he popped up on the left and just... Well, let, let's be honest. The Whitecaps marking gave him a free roll because there was no one near him for so much of the game. Yeah, because they're busy marking the space, right? The ball yes. in space. <laughs> yes, I I want to come to that now for this first goal, Steve. So, it, it was loose marking, and it basically boils down to the fact that they're marking the space and not the man. So Gutierrez completely lost Baird, which then allowed him to play it into Quintero, and then Youngworth was marking the space, and Quintero got away from him and, and put it away. Yeah, it was... I like. I agree that that the the again from before the free kick did play a part, but you have to be on the ball and be able to have your everybody lined up properly and be set to for the for that quick free kick. And for me, that's lack of preparation. That you you're not set to go. Your center backs are all over the place. They're spread out, and and in your in your fullback is not like neither like um neither one of them was anywhere close to the, their player. Like the, yeah. the, the, the two Houston players basically split in between both of them. 
Like there was not even a moment of it. And they weren't even like going, oh, who do I go? Who do I go for? They just stood in their spots and let them go. And yeah. then they tried to claim of uh, offside, and it wasn't even close to being offside. Yeah, yeah, you heard lots of people like saying, "Like, what is this? Like, play to the whistle. What? Put your hand down and just keep keep going." You know, there's VAR. If he's offside, VAR will sort out. You don't just stop. Yeah, uh, but when was... I first saw it, I thought it was offside, and then you yeah. see the replay, and it's like, oh yeah, it was tight, but it, was, it looked on. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. was it was it was a perfect like ball into the box too like it's yeah it was perfect. a great great delivery and Baird yeah. did so well to peel off Gooty yeah for yeah. as much as saying Gooty lost him Baird did well to make sure that Gooty lost him but it was still it was Steve you're right it was uh, I think a poor framework to begin with and perhaps an even poorer reaction to the to the play in general yeah so that was one all Houston had a, a chance to to go in to the half of the lead as well Hassel a Great save to paw away a, a Contera shot as well. Hassal coming into his own. It's, it's good to see. I think these games are going to give him a little bit of confidence. At halftime, I thought Whitecaps are still in this. And because I still think Houston are terrible, I I, I was confident that it, they would come out and win this. It was a, like a... Entertaining might not be the right word, but it was like an interesting first half, yeah. right? Like. You felt like, and going to the half, going to the second half, you, I don't know about you, but this time I really felt like, you know, this could go either way. Like, I, I thought it was like an open, it was anyone's game kind of thing. Last season's run-in Whitecaps would have gone on to win this game. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's a, a key thing to mention here. Even going behind five minutes into the second half, I fancied last year's Whitecaps would have gone on and at least got something from this game. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, this game, you're you, unlike even like last game, when you don't have a Brian White in the squad, period, right? You don't have that option off the bench. Last year, when they went to these situations, they knew they could bring the battering ram Kava off the bench to at least kind of maybe, you know, give, give them something, you know, or punch the team in the mouth and, you know, um, you know, metaphorically speaking, and, and you know, and, and get something from the game. But when you look, you look at the bench, play and actually, yeah. when you look at when you looked at the bench today, other than Caicedo, like what, what, what was there? Hey, we brought Toss on and stoppage time. I don't know when you want to bring this up, but this is a team that that is not like they got like square pegs and round holes basically at this point. Yeah, and, let's talk and, and, about that now because it and, is. So, and some like, of the subs as well were like baffling and what is going on here. Yeah, this is essentially a team that thought that they caught lightning in a bottle last year, and they thought they could do it again. And 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 with and because of that, they didn't make any upgrades at all. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll scratch that. Right now, at this point, they won, made one upgrade in Blackman. Other than that, they they didn't do any kind of upgrades. They lost players, uh, most importantly in Crepo. Even though, honestly, that I don't see it being that big of a deal at this point. Like, I think they can no. survive with us all. Um, but the thing is, they didn't upgrade. And we talked about it before. Um, yes, Kyle Alexander is injured. Uh, that, that plays a big part. But I personally thought they still needed a, a player better than him. They essentially needed, they need a player in the midfield better than Galt. And they needed to do something where they brought in a player better than that uh, Galt and that midfielder at striker. They needed to do something. And if they, they they needed one spot where they opened, and I I said I mentioned this in at the end of last year, if they're not going to play Dahomey and Caicedo at their natural positions, they need to unload them and bring in some other players that fit those roles. Yeah, Caicedo is doesn't seem comfortable as a striker, 
And Dahomey is definitely, whether he's comfortable or not, he's not doing a good job de- defending. I think there was a moment today, again, he barged into somebody from the back and yeah. could have could have got a yellow card easily or yeah. possibly a red at one point too. I can't remember. It, it looked, it, actually, that switch that, that uh, Vanny made to the wingbacks looked in part because he saw them attacking Dahomey and Dahomey was doing, made at least two errors in that first 10 minutes. And yeah. that, that's what I thought maybe was the reason it's, why, you know, for the switch. Because not only do you have a guy playing out of his position, then you invert him, and then he's he's even having difficulty defending the, his opposite yeah. side. You, we've talked, you've talked to other fullbacks before, and they say that it's difficult defending when you're a right fullback defending the left side. My, Michael, you and I were talking about this. I think uh, we heard this or read this or whatever. I think we maybe heard it or read it different places. But one of the big things from the Whitecaps from 2021. Aside from this, you know, they only had the one thing to focus on. And, you know, Vanny had, you know, it was an interim and so had less, not less responsibilities. But again, his, his, his focus was more razor sharp on, you know, one thing. Um, was the fact that um, Brian White's goals to his expected goals, and I forget the exact numbers, were considerable. Like he, oh, yeah. over, he overshot his expected goals significantly and... Maxime Crepeau on the other side of the field also outperformed the expected goals against Vancouver with his saves and his contributions. And so it was like you had these on both ends of the field, you had the you had these, um, shall we say, massive overperformances uh, that helped them elevate them into a playoff you know, a spot, which was great for the 2021 season. But Steve, I agree with you. It, it doesn't feel replicable. It doesn't no. feel like they're going to be able to do it again. And then you lost Maxime Kerpo, which I heard one person say that, you know, he was good for a minimum of nine points last year. Like he yeah. won roughly nine points last year. And when you take away nine points, you know, you're nowhere near a playoff team in, in uh, 2022. I, I think long-term, uh, well, especially this year, the worst thing was that they, 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 made the playoffs last year honestly yeah because it, 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 it gave an excuse to the higher ups that they didn't have to spend money and stuff like that and they could go on with the kind of status quo it definitely feels that way steve yeah yeah can we just give caleb porter a call and say look we'll give you all our gam for this year next year and the year after if you give us lucas zellerian <laughs> how Zellerian- much would it take to prize him away but Azelaran, I like. I, I think Gold is fine because Azelaran and Gold play similar positions, from what I think, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So I think, they, but the thing is, they need somebody behind Gold that can support him and yeah, be they, able to. Yeah, it can't it, just all be on his shoulders, but yeah, it kind of feels it, like it is because because if you bring somebody in that can kind of run the attack, like from the back, um, Gold is more free to do stuff and not to worry about the buildups. So, Steve, are you thinking like a DP number eight? Yeah, some, uh, number eight, number six, or whatever you well, want. Well, it looks to like it's with. a six that they're targeting because the, the player that Axel is, is seemingly got in mind, it's, it looks like it's a defensive midfielder. But as long as the guy has a destroyer box to box defensive midfielder. But as long as he's a guy that can, like, kind of, kind of run the attack, like, kind of spread out the ball to the right spots, that's what you're looking for. The, the big question will be how well can he play with Russell Tyburn? <laughs> yeah, it does certainly feel like that is going to be the well, question. The thing is, people are complaining he shouldn't be a starter. The thing is, I like I, I think most of the people, like even on the organization, agree that he shouldn't be a starter because if Kyle's healthy and if they had brought another uh, midfielder, he wouldn't be a starter at this yeah. point. Yeah, because I think he's fourth right now on on the on the depth chart behind even a Wilson. So it's it's he's only there because the yeah. Whitecaps aren't doing anything and they got an injured player. Yeah, that's fair. 
we won't break down the game too much more, but let's let's just look at that second goal. First thing we've got to say is an absolutely wonderful strike from Darwin Quintero. Beautifully struck. That is not in question. What infuriated me so much when I put that back and watched it was Russell Tybert, the, the aforementioned, and Leo Wusu jogging back. Not a Houston player around them, no urgency, not seemingly trying to pick up anyone. I'm not saying they would have been able to get to Quintero and stop that, but that was just, oh, my ire was raised. You have a concern at the lack of urgency is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And And just picking someone up as well. Yeah. It was a quick counterattack, but I think that your, your point is valid and taken. And I I did raise that point with, with Vanny after the game, and here's what he had to say. We spoke midweek about the the danger that Darwin Quintero could be for Houston. He seemed like the, the main difference today between you coming away with something from this game and others, obviously, because he got the two goals. But on that second goal in particular... I know you've probably not had a chance to watch it back, but the midfield were just sauntering back. There was just... Leo and Russell just didn't pick anyone up and they seemed to just give Darwin Quintero so much space. It was a transition play, I think. I, to be honest, I have, I, you're right. I haven't watched the, rewatched the, the, the goal, but I think we, we actually had the ball. We had the ball from Cava to, uh, to Gold. Unfortunately, Ryan lost the ball. And we were getting how, and the ball was played immediately behind. Uh, our defense actually won the ball back. And I don't remember if it was Flo or Ranko. And then Quintero made a scored a banger, to be honest. We need to also clap the hands sometimes to their player. I think that uh, you are right uh, in, I would say, more in the first half than in the second half. In the first half, I think that uh, we were positionally good, but Quintero was winning the 1v1 every time against either Rusty or uh, or Leo. But uh, in the second half, we adjusted much, much better. And he had only that, uh, I would say, the big chance. Uh, and it was actually even outside the box. But he scored, scored a fantastic goal, to be honest. What, what have you made of the midfield in general through these first three games? Because it does seem like there... I know you spoke a lot pre-season, you wanted more aggression, you wanted them to move the ball quicker. It does seem to be a, the issue in the team right now. I think in possession, maybe. In outside possession, I think, the, especially today in the first half, they weren't helped by the striker and the wingback. That was the issue when we didn't have the ball in the first half. And we adjusted the end of the first half and the second half was much better. But it was really hard for them to be uh, to winning ball back in the first half because the the they were creating problem uh, with the, their number six popping out on the back of uh, the our offensive player and their offensive player they weren't able to adjust their position. Uh, we did it at half. It was better, but I agree with you. We need to do better when we have the ball. So, so is it just me building something too much up? Because I've got this bee in my bonnet just now. The midfield's just ineffective. It feels like that's where we are falling down so much. Well, like, like if moving we were, it forward, if, defending. Well, if we if we weren't called uh, away from the numbers or AFTN, uh, we would be called midfield as an effective podcast. Like 
about something yeah. that applies because it comes up every week, goddamn week for us for over the last three years or four years. It's not a it's a running theme for the White Caps right now. Uh, it, it, they've never had an effective midfield, and that's their biggest problem. It makes their backline look weak, and it makes their attack look weak. So that's the biggest thing. We've all, everybody's always said if you have a strong midfield, that strong midfield can help both both sides of the pitch. And that's what you're supposed to do. So, yeah, it, it's going to happen. It, like, it's it's a running theme. Uh, you can ask that question every week for this club. Yeah. For the last three or four years. It's a, that's a fair perspective. Like, the whole MLS era, the midfield has not been, like, it, there's only been spells where it feels like the midfield has been, like, solid, both attacking and defending. Occasionally, they, they the, it'll hit on one. But very rarely on both, and right now it feels like it's missing missing at both ends. Um, I, I, I know we don't have the the pieces that we want in that team right yeah. now, but I think from these early games, I, I I was a big fan of Leo Wusu and what he did towards the end of the season. I don't think Wusu or Tybert should be your guys that start. And I think one of them can start as long as you have a very strong other midfielder beside him. Yeah, that, like the the. The problem is when you have uh, two players that need uh, stronger teammates, that's that's where the problem comes. Need, and, need and, support. It, and it feels like, Michael, they're not, they don't want to play through the middle, right? They want to play through the wing backs and then kind of into gold. Like, you know what I mean? Like gold further down the field. So it, it feels like they know, they know that. And so they're, they're not playing to that because they know it's not a strength. I don't know. Is that, is that fair? That's fair, but the thing is, the problem is the opposition will see that as well, and then oh, they'll, oh, they'll oh, yeah. flood the wide areas, and the, you will have to play the middle. That's why you have to have a good midfield in order to keep people like uh, uh, respectable to your other attacks. There was times in the game today where you could see they were trying to go up one flank, and you could see Houston closing them down, and Houston knew that they're only they're going to switch it around all the way around the back. Yeah, so they had time to go and get ready for, on the other side, kind of thing. And you're like, okay, like. They know they're not going to play through the, through the middle here because yeah. those, you know, those two kind of six, eight positions are not the strongest on the team. For me, the midfield was the ugly part of today. The bad part was giving up the the lead and just not generating enough chances. But let, let's finish chatting about this game by looking at any good because that. Zach, you said that there were positives coming out of it, and that there were some positives coming out of it. What what do you take forward now from this game? I, I th- well, I think it's nice to. This might just sound really simple, but it's nice to finally score. And I think it wasn't just scoring; it was st- scoring like a a good team goal with a good finish for your designated player striker to kind of you know get off the mark and get going. I think that was really good. I think Hassal again. It was um, you know I think a, like a solid to you know respectable to solid performance from Thomas Hassall. Um I know there were moments, but I feel like I know I agree with you. I think Steve, you said it that wasn't or maybe it was you Michael that said it wasn't quite like last year, but it felt like there was fight in the team, you know? Like I, I, I don't think we gave up. Yeah. I kinda I kind of see I actually saw I don't know why I just don't see the same team as last year. That like I feel like there's less fight in the team. Like they they don't have any confidence in, in in getting the goal back, I I think there's fight. I, I think what you, I, I think where I would agree with what you're saying, Steve, is I think for some of the players there's like not confusion, but like Michael said, the subs when they were made, I think you're like what what, and then you're like 
oh, okay, that means this person's going to move here and that person's going to move there and this is how it's going to switch around and stuff. But I think I think what, one of the reasons why there weren't more quality chances created in the, you know, the latter stages of the game, the second half of the second half, were because of that. There was, it, it was too just disjointed and too, whether it's round, round pegs and square holes or whatever, it just, yeah, it was, it's not as cohesive. Where last year, again, things were just more cohesive and it felt like there, well, last year it felt like there's one, one formation, one thing you had to know, one thing you had to do. And it was more simple, if you will, or more, you know, less complex, less layers, less things to, you know, think about or remember. And yeah. Yeah. I, I like the, like, I think last year, I feel like he did a tinkering, but he did tinkering with the players, not the lineup. And I feel like he's doing a lot of tinkering with the lineup this year. It almost is very similar to what Mark DeSantos was doing last year at the beginning of the season, always like changing the lineup and everything. And we, we talked about it. Maybe he was making it a little too complicated for the players. Mm. I mean, Vanny said afterwards they didn't deserve to lose. I don't think they did either, but I don't know that they deserve to win. Well, but Lu- if they got a point... Lucas Cavallini came out in his interview and said, I believe we deserve to win, which I felt I, a little bit. I believe they, they could and should have won because these are the yeah. games you have to win. These are the teams you have to be beaten if you're but, a playoff team. But I, I agree with that statement. I, but I, that say, I don't agree with the statement they deserve to win. No. Yeah. No, I, I don't at all. That sounded a little bit out of touch. So I, I put out after the game just that we're recording uh, on Saturday night and for, for some fans' comments and... Wasn't expecting quite as many as we got. I'm going to try and go through as many as we can without obviously going through every single one of them because there was a lot. But there's some very interesting comments in this. And it does certainly feel that the the honeymoon period might be over a little bit for Vanni Sartini. Some fans have already turned to them, which I, I do feel is way too early. Wait until we've got... like. Vite and Alessandri in the middle of the field. We've got Godoy in the back line. So we see what the proper team is once we get it out there. What if, but, what if you were never for uh, Sartini to be the coach? Can you like jump on him then? Oh, if you want. Okay, I, I, we'll I think some folk have as well. So yeah. Frankie L says, I'm noticing that our passing is consistently inaccurate from our front seven, which instead of creating attacking advantages for us with numbers forward creates turnovers the guys look rushed and are mentally uncalm and the thing Mm. is that's the whole point of the formation that Vanny's tried pre-season he wants more people to go forward but if you're turning the ball over and then leaving yourself short at the back or susceptible to the quick counter as we saw against Houston you need to look at a different way of playing I feel or different personnel in there Jeremy Johnson says, one thing I don't get, it seems we want to play counter-attacking style, but when we win the ball, we often slow down and let the opponent get into defensive shape. Jeremy's a quality fellow, good at assessing things. I I think like like a lot of times I felt like Cavallini at some point, I understand you want to be counter-attacking, but sometimes in the build-up, he wouldn't hold the ball long enough for the uh, teammates to get up the pitch or whatever to meet him. So I think there was a little bit of uh, confusion there in the way they want to build up and, and they want to attack. Greg Petrie says, what is it the Whitecaps actually practice? Because it's clearly not defending corners or set pieces, just pathetic. 
as I always point out, remember at training, the Whitecaps defenders are defending against Whitecaps attackers. Then they get on the pitch and it's a completely different animal that they're facing out there. Partly joking. Um, Mike Nichols says, disappointing performance, thrilled for Cava. I don't know what that says about my expectations for the season, but support as always. Now, again, this is going back to my bugbear. Mike Ward, you can't win the game if you don't control the middle of the field. Wanting to play wide is okay, but no defending or support in the middle is a recipe for disaster. And that is where it's fallen down. I think Vanny knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to jump on and ask him one final question at the end today, which was, do you, do you feel you might need to add sooner rather than later to the middle? But it probably isn't the best time to ask that right after a a game. Is, is, the window, is the window still open? Yeah, till, till May. Oh, till May, okay. Nascatania says, not a lot to be excited about. They can't afford to have a slow start to the season like last year. No excuses this year, though. Gold has to play more of a prominent role. He was a non-factor today and the first two matches. And he was, but you can get off to a slow start in this league and still make a run. The Whitecaps showed that last year, but you're not going to get lightning in the bottle like that two seasons in a row, I would not expect. Yeah, I trust the words of the Godfather there. Jonathan says, I honestly worry so much that what made Vanny so successful last season is hard to replicate over the course of a season. Mm -hmm. We seem to be changing formations and tactics so quickly that it's hard for the players to get settled and we've played so much without the ball so far. Spot on. It's... Now he, he, the Bandy Tartini is a perfect coach. Like he, like we think of it, like he's a teaching coach, right? So uh, and he's he does have that uh, passionate side of him, and that's great in those kind of in short spurts. But it's not always good over a full season. No good, Boyle says. Gold seems checked out, nursing a knock or just not feeling it. His energy was infectious last season, and it's a wall this season. Someone else pointed out as well, I don't know if you noticed at halftime, they kind of played some footage from the home opener and it was Vanny firing the players up. Ryan didn't seem that fired up, I've got to say, in the in the locker room before the game. But that's maybe, he, he is a quiet lad, so maybe that is just his style. But he, he, ha, he, isn't, him, he isn't the 100% that he needs to be. Yeah. And the problem we have is we don't have anyone else really that can come in and do that. Maybe VT can come in and be your lone number 10 and give Gold a little bit of a break. But for that to happen, you then need Kava and White to be firing as well. Alan Errington. They huffed and puffed a bit. Houston sat back after scoring their second goal, but the Whitecaps never took advantage of it. Now, that is very... Very good from a guy that has obviously been a, a previous coach as well. So you notice things like that because Paolo Nagamura afterwards basically indicated that they, when they were 2-1 up, they were happy just to see the game out. Yeah. And the Whitecaps didn't have that killer instinct well, or anyone the, they could bring off the bench to get that killer instinct. The thing is, is if you look at the possession, possession breakdowns, uh, the, you know, the, how they have the five-minute intervals, uh, Vancouver didn't start possessing the ball more until the 70th minute. That's like 20 minutes after giving up that goal. Like yeah. Houston still had one five-minute intervals multiple times during that. I think three out of the yeah. four times in the first and 20. In, and in the last 20, 25 minutes, they only had three half 
or three chances in that in that time and they yeah. weren't like they weren't like prime chances either and and you think of it somebody's uh like you're giving up a, uh you, you you scored the win, like the goal go ahead goal in the 50th minute you should bring back the possession a little bit more back to 50 50 yeah. at that point and it was ended up 58 or 59 to 41 and that's well, not a good sign Alan also points out they played everything safe around the box and didn't create any quality chances. And that is true. It was a very safe... They, you need to start just peppering shots. It's like the goalkeeper, Alan doesn't remember him really making any saves or many saves. And yeah, yeah. he didn't. And, he had and, a, and another quiet afternoon and, out there. And it's he made, he made one save. He made one save at the near the end there, yeah. And it's Stephen Clark. You should be peppering yes, him with shots. He's dodgy at yeah. best. Yeah, I think it was like the, there was a couple. Well, there was there was the Blackman header. Yeah, that was a seventy-second-ish. Yeah, I haven't seen a replay of it. Did Clark touch it onto the bar, or did it go onto the bar? I thought he got a touch. I thought and he then, did as well. And then Cava well, Cava had his header blocked by Dorsey. Yeah, we, it was we a only have two shots on target, so it's like, hmm. Yeah, the, that's odd. Uh, but the oh. other thing is uh, the wild spot was the. Like that, that free kick though they when they kind of curved it in, I thought they were going to shoot it right on Clark and see if anybody could pick up a rebound. And they rarely ever try that either. Yeah, they need to start doing that more. But that's then when you need your guys in the six yard box to pounce on yeah. it. Island Life says simple midfield equals bad. Michael Phillips, the bar was set pretty low after the first two games, but holy shit, is this going to be a long season or what? It has the feeling of that right now. I have to say, and I really hope I'm wrong. Graham wants to know why the team always has slow starts to the season. Do they need to do something different in the off-season and pre-season? Because you can't rely on summer transfers all the time, and, and you can't. No, they need to... I, I've said it before that they need to be... And obviously this was, goes back to multiple years. They need to bring in their players early. And, 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 and if they're going to transfer players in, even if they're lesser players, if they might not be the you know the, their number one picks, they, they need to bring in these players so they're more together uh, during the training camp and not worry about like bringing in players now or in the summertime. I, I just don't feel like summertime is a good effective time to bring yeah. in a player. Well, yeah, we know, and we know that from previous experiences as well. And, and there was a time where they almost like within the club, Steve, they had a moratorium on those kind of big moves in the middle of summer, but now they've yeah. reverted back to it a little bit. Michael, can I read El Canico's tweet? Yeah. So he's responding to your tweet. He says, not sure if this tweet is from tonight or last week, or last year, or a decade ago. <laughs> Same old guys. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Last couple, I'll just quickly go through these about the midfield. Peter Lahey says, um, last year, Bikel was notable in midfield. Then Owusu won the job in the ditch Bikel. Why? Gold truly looks pissed off. Why? Vanny was anointed. Why? They didn't add any significant pieces except for a defender. Why? Not good enough. Ben Cooper Whitecap says, I want my team to look competitive, to look like they can score goals and get results. Despite last season's late run, I still feel we haven't had a team like that in too long. Uh, Mike Curry breaks it down. Dahomey and Gutierrez not comfortable inverted, except for Vite Cava Caicedo off the ball, movement's not enough. Owusu and Tybert combo meant New York City and Houston just both ran up the gut. That, that, that's a big issue. I wonder if that's why Nagamura said, okay, uh, Quintero, you're starting today. Yeah, and you, you, you're free to do what you want because yeah. you're going to have space there. 
Dahomey and Caicedo are wingers, not sure about this formation. How is Cava beating wingers midfielders to balls? Where are they? If Cava's on it, other players need to push up. Sartini not catching teams by surprise with wing-backs anymore. And th- there's some other comments as well. Sorry if I've, I've missed them out, but I know it's not a lot of fun just sitting listening to folk reading tweets and us commenting on it. But in summary... There's a lot of unhappy people out there at the moment, but it is just week three of the season. And I, and I will say that. And we'll just finish this part off now with a little bit of look around how the rest of the West went and where that is leaving the Whitecaps heading into next week's big matchup with LAFC. So we're going to start our look around MLS with a look at the two other Canadian teams because we're three weeks into the season, Zach, and there's not been a win for a Canadian team yet. Very true. We, we did Very debate jokingly on last week's show when that might come. Not yet. Is it next week? Probably not from the White Cats, but you never know. <laughs> never say never. But yet, it wasn't a great weekend for Montreal or TFC either. Both are still looking for their first wins of the new campaign. In Montreal's case, they're still looking for their first point. Now, Montreal never really looked like getting anything, I don't think, from their game at NYCFC. The defending champs, two up by the 20th minute. Callan, seven minutes in, finish from, nice finish from Santiago Rodriguez in the the 20th. ZBG pulled one back. Yes. That was in the 52nd. And then Talis Magno in the 64th, Thiago Andrade, seven minutes from time, sealed a 4-1 victory and the three points from NYC makes the Caps no no last week look pretty stellar. I knew you were going to say that. The only thing, the only thing worse than I think Montreal's performance in this game was the pre, the pregame presentation. Yes, let's talk about that. Is that the smallest celebratory banner you have seen? I showed it to Caitlin, and she's used to looking at small things and trying to make them like talk them up to to make me feel good about myself but in this case she was like what was that yeah i mean that's really sad like i know i know like it's not like they won a cup last week and they had a week to do something right like this has been months and they're i mean connected to these very large significant organizations that you think They'd want to make something bigger of this. I don't know. I didn't because it it's their... not their own stadium and they're limited with the room that they're allowed. Or... Yeah, but don't they have a partnership with the Yankees? Like, aren't the Yankees part owners or something still? It it was, and like even the word "winners" was the smallest part on the banner. You see the logo twenty twenty one. Oh, they won it. <laughs> was was there was I didn't I didn't look. Was there any tifo in this game? I this didn't was on see TV, it. Yeah, sank right. So I didn't. I didn't, yeah. I didn't get to watch this. Yeah, one. I just watched the the highlights so, on YouTube later. But so I mean, like, wouldn't you connect with your supporters? I mean, we know they care about their supporters because they made that jersey for them, right? The third yeah. rail, that electric shock thing. Like, you would have you would have thought that they would have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they'd yeah. no money left for a banner after the custom made kit. Sad. It was like you can get the vote on the strip and a or. No vault, but a huge banner. That's what it, it felt was, like, anyway. It was just sad. And, like, you got to think. Garber and his friends are like, oh, this makes us look bad. Because, dude, everyone in the league's talking about it. Yeah. Like, everyone's talking about it. It, it reminds it, it, – it, it's not the same, but it's reminiscent for me of the, you know, the rolling out of the um, the microwave plate for the CPL. <laughs> CPL. Yeah. 
Which, which stone effect is that? Which at least still like has there's some charm to that, and like some there was some good connect you know connectivity to that, which wasn't their intention, but still, you know, this just seems like yeah awkward. I don't know what's happened to Montreal either because I think their squad is really good and yeah. has three losses to start the season. I think their head is tied to this the CCL, right? Like yeah. Wilfred Nancy did say afterwards that he wouldn't have it any other way and that they're they're focused on the CPL and they're doing well in the in the CPL. So I mean th- things are working out for them. TFC, on the other hand, they look like they might have fared better. They led Columbus at the half. It was another goal from Jimenez. Yeah. Where was the marking on on this one though by the crew? Jimenez just waltzed into the six yard box and they just tucked it away. Maybe they thought they were playing a like at Vancouver again. <laughs> they're Canadian, they're all the same. The crew did have the ball in the net in the first half, it was offside, but then they came storming back in the second. Zilla Ryan, Your buddy. Low, yeah, love the guy. Low Ranger, 56th minute. Derek Etienne grabbed the win in the 65th, finishing from a free kick, which Stephen Caldwell on commentary was adamant that it was never a foul, it was never a booking. And again, I showed this to Caitlin, who doesn't know anything about football. And I said, what do you see when I show you this? And she went, oh, he kicks a guy in the thigh. I'm like, yeah. One day you Scotsman will agree on something. I don't know. It, it, it was it was nice to see them lose. But did you, did you see Etienne's celebration? I did, but I can't remember it. He gave uh, homage to... Um... Bradley Wright Phillips, who signed that one-day contract to retire with Dead Bull, he did his like, uh, you know, clicking of the heels, the jump, and the jump. The, I like know. that they do that one-day contract thing. I've got to say. Yeah, it is kind of a nice. It, it, it's a nice little touch. But um, the one thing I'll say, I want to say about this TFC game is, I mean, again, just Caden Chung left back, Lucas Minotin center back, yeah. starting next to Michael Bradley. Okay, but like, and not just those guys; they're playing a like. Bradley's playing a bunch of these young players and I know the results have not been there and it might be frustrating for some of the more veteran people like Pozuelo or maybe Jimenez or whoever, but, um, or Rosario, I don't know, but it's, I find their games interesting to watch because you're seeing these young players find themselves and grow and get experience and stuff. Yeah. And from a, mostly, I know they're not all Canadians, but a lot from a Canadian perspective is it's exciting to see, this next generation of players that I feel like I disconnected from, I don't really know a lot about. And um, it's the kind of thing where, again, I don't know how the supporters in Toronto will respond to a, a, a significant duration like this, but at least I think when you turn on the TV, you see, or you go to the game or you, maybe this year you travel to game away games or whatever, you're seeing like the future of your club kind of take shape. Like the important, you know, all club need all clubs need homegrown young players to come through, and I think they're going to have a number of either yeah homegrown type players or these Canadian kids from CPL or whatever come through and shape their future. And so, again, I'm not cheering for them, but I get excited to watch their games because I know I'm gonna I'm I'm going to or I'm very likely to see players, you know, develop before my eyes. Well, it was great to see Chung and McNaughton start, and they both had good accounts of themselves as well. I was very surprised, to, to be honest. Yeah. There, there was a, a bad bit of news that the highly touted Jaquiel Marshall Rutty 
Forced off with an injury 12 minutes in, and I had yeah. a look and I didn't see any update on that, but he was in tears, which makes it think that it's more than just a knock. Right. And it also made me wonder, did he maybe know he was getting a call-up to the national team camp for this window Ooh. or something as well, and this could t- knock him back? Yeah, because, yeah, he's one of the guys, too, who's been, there's a lot of hype around. Yeah. So that's all we'll really talk about the East covering the two Canadian teams, but we'll rattle through the, the West. The first of the Western teams up on the day was LAFC, but we'll come at them last because that is next week's opponents for the Whitecaps. So Seattle 3, LA Galaxy 2, five goals in, in this one. The Sounders get their first goals and their first win of the season. Mm-hmm. Chicharito gave the Galaxy a six-minute lead. Jordan Morris scrambled at home from as close range as possible 11 minutes later. But then a stupid challenge on Montero in the box. It was a yeah. penalty. Slight argument between him and Rushnak that was a bit embarrassing because yeah. clearly Freddie is the penalty taker and Rushnak clearly wanted his first goal as a sounder. I don't think the makers-takers rule, though, is an official rule as the commentators tried to to argue that that's why Montero was taking the penalty. But yeah, the Colombian... Fired home from the spot to give Seattle a 2-1 lead at half. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my highlight of the half was, again, the performance. So talk about someone trying to get in the national team and or play a role for the national team was, once again, Raheem Edwards. I think that's his third straight goal that he has played in either direct or very influential role in setting up for the LA Galaxy. And so That he, guy he, that he, we he, said when you was available, bring him yes. here. Yeah, he would have been another great player for Vancouver to hunt down. But um, he, yeah, really nice ball to the box that, went, that then was laid off for Chicharito to, to, to tap home. This was a, a really good game, really good half and a really yeah. good game. Tell us about the second half. LFC came out way stronger and they yeah. were the better team. And I thought, oh, I mean, they, three minutes in, Douglas Costa brought them level. And I thought, oh, they're going to go on and they're, they're going to win it now. And they did hit the post. But then Ariaga grabbed what proved to be the winning goal, heading home on Alex Roldan cross in the 72nd minute. And the Galaxy will probably wonder how they let that one get away. Yeah. The, the Sounders, like, did you watch their game against Leon during the week? Or at least uh, highlights I, I, of it? I watched the highlights of it, They yeah. destroyed Leon. Yeah. And yeah. Freddie Montero was, like, pretty sharp in that game. And you're like, how... Are they like that? And then they've been playing how they are in the league, but they've got their win now, so they're obviously going to kickstart their season. You can never write Seattle off. I still don't think the Galaxy are that great. Uh, I, well, here's the thing: I think they're, I think they're definitely better this year than last year. Yeah. I'm really, obviously, really happy for Douglas Costa to score, even though it was a deflected free kick goal. I think that was good for his confidence. You could see it meant a lot to him. Um, and here's the difference: last year. LA came into the season, won their first two games, then went to Seattle in the third game, just like this year, and got crushed like 3-0. And it was a bit of a deflation for them. That was maybe a foreshadowing of what happened in their season as a whole. This year, they still conceded three goals and lost, but it was a much better performance and I think a much more encouraging uh, overall display and, and some individual performances from the side as a whole. So I think Vanny will be able to, um, uh, you know, teach his players some lessons that they can learn from this game and help them continue to progress the way they have, like in the first couple of games. So I, 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 I don't disagree with you that, you know, 
that they're maybe not going to be the top of the table, but I still think they're going to be better than last year. And I mm. think they're going to be, I hope, I hope for their sake, I hope they're going to be kicking in around the, um, the playoff spots. It was snowmageddon in Boston. Actually, oh, yeah. Saturday's games in general it was quite East chilly because Columbus, it was all snowy. Yeah. But yeah, this New England-RSL game was, was something else, but it was also probably the match of the weekend. Yes, yeah. I think the Seattle-LA one might have been the, the, the next best. But yeah, this was a, a, a really intriguing affair. I mean, it's always well, fun. Well, this one had an orange ball. Yeah, snow so that pitch, obviously makes ball, it match of the week. It makes it exciting right right away. It's like a home um, game for RSL in the snow. Yes, exactly. Well, no, totally. Yeah, like exactly. We I, think it was an event. I, I it still was don't think this game should have started. Now, if the weather was going to clear and they knew it was going to clear, because it did certainly get way better in the second half, delay it for an hour. What I didn't understand, um, and I, so I didn't watch the first half live, but I watched the second half live. Um, I don't understand why they didn't clear off like the whole field at halftime. Like, yes, it's not like it's not like maybe maybe they have a skeleton crew on for, for Rebs games at at Craft uh, Stadium there at Foxborough, or whatever. But like, surely you could have cleared off the. I mean, you cleared off portions of the field. Could you not have done that to the whole field? Because I don't think it's like they did it and then it snowed more. And you're right, it did sort of slowly get better. Yeah, but um, it felt a little bit awkward that it was like. The, the snow went off, but the wind picked up. <laughs> oh yeah, the wind was cra- it was crazy. Yeah, second half. Yeah, but it was weird that they had those spots like on the wide flanks where you could like, get a good crossing. <laughs> you know, the start of the second half, they had these like strips like near the corner flag that were like, okay, so just I, I, I that PVR'd really- it, and then you said, "Oh, it's a good game to watch." So I, ha- I had it on the telly, and Caitlin was was sitting watching it, and at one point the guy was clearing snow off, and she's like. Why is he even bothering? Why are they playing in this? I don't think she was alone in that sentiment. No, Carla's girl, um, not happy afterwards, dropped an F-bomb on live TV. Always love that. I, I've retweeted it out. Um, I thought about grabbing the audio for the show, but nah. But don't, don't, we won't mark this ex- expletive, but he wasn't happy, but he was right. That's not football. He said he couldn't even talk to his teammates. I took it because his mouth was so frozen, but <laughs> but RSL are playing in a white strip, and on the TV at some points, I was saying to Caitlin, oh, yeah. you can't even see them. They're like blending into the pitch. Yeah, it, it was it was not good. I mean, New England came out all guns. Well, they didn't actually come out all guns blazing, but they, they, they got off to, yeah. the, to the better start. Bucks are headed off the post in the half-hour mark, and then they went ahead in first half stoppage time through Boateng. I, they, they just kept the pressure on for that goal. RSL just couldn't clear it and Boateng finished it nicely. And in the second half, the conditions did improve, but the wind picked up. Um, Outdoor yeah. got his first goal in the 62nd minute for New England. Nice little header. Headed home, little flick on. I thought they were home and dry by that I point. Think, I think they thought that as well. Yeah, but I, I had a feeling from the interview post-game and you say, well, this is a good game, game of the weekend. I thought, there's some drama coming in this. It can't just be the snow. And yeah, there, there certainly was. RSL crashed one off the bar in the 65th minute through Holt. Then the 78th minute, they pulled one back. Wind-assisted route one. I like a good route one goal. It's just kicked up the pitch. It takes an unfortunate header, runs in um, Cordova, 
2-1. Yeah, he was lively, Cordova. Yeah. Uh, he was also um, lively, but he also played dead a couple of times. But um, <laughs> uh, I forget if it was before this or after this. There was an awesome sh- – I think this was the game. There was an awesome shot where someone hit the crossbar and all the snow on top of the crossbar <laughs> fell off. I don't know if you got I've caught that while you were watching it. Um, but yeah, I didn't know it's a still come off actually, but I maybe maybe I think it was this game. Maybe it was a different game in the snow this that I'm thinking of this week. Well well could go for his goal if he hadn't put it away, it was gonna be a penalty anyway yes. for for oh, yes. by that point. Oh, totally. but, I mean, even then, twelve minutes to go, you'd have fancied New England to, to oh, yeah. see this out. But Arizel tied it up in the eighty eighth minute, and again the wind played a part, it was swirling in the box. They got a free kick. The ball was moving. Ruiz sends in a fantastic delivery, we've got to say, and Glad powerfully heads it home fantastically as well. But with the ball moving, New England were complaining, well, it shouldn't count because the ball was moving, yeah, but yeah. I don't think that's really a, a reviewable thing. Yeah, I, they, they were really mad about that. I had the volume off, so I was wondering what they were what they were mad at, but then they were making the hand gestures of moving. Yeah, I um, I thought actually when I saw the replay, I actually I thought first thought it was offside because again I had no volume on, so I thought, oh that's offside. They're going to call that. Well, I thought Outdoors was offside at first when I first saw it because I thought no. he'd run offside and then it had been flicked on. But... Oh yeah, but it wasn't. But yeah, um, so I felt okay. Our cell is a bit a little bit fortunate. I also forgot to check this week. Do we know Crylatch? Any Crylatch update? Oh no, I didn't. Although I he did send an email out. I'm on RSL's mailing list because I bought a ticket once in 2011. Yeah. So I keep getting fan emails oh, and okay. I didn't bother reading it. Oh, yeah, I should, should check that. I hope, I hope it's just not, not something that's emailed for a long time because mm. they're, they're not the same without him. No. Well, you say that. They came away with a win here. <laughs> it played like they had time, And it was like, wow. Schmidt curled in a lovely beauty. 12 yards out. What a comeback. It's like, these Crazy. are the kind of games that you look back on the end of the season. It's like, yeah, that's what that's what made or break our season. It, it, MLS this year, each of the three match days or match weekends, whatever, um, every it's not like every game has been quality by far. No, because there were but some there, bad ones as we're going to come to. Exactly. But there have been one or two or maybe three or whatever that have been like encouraging or watchable or exciting or just filled with moments that you, you know, great tension or great drama or uh, quality football or whatever. And um, yeah, again, this was one of them. Philly two, San Jose nil. San Jose oh. are, are woeful. I, I don't know why I watched the whole 90 minutes of this. I had yeah. it on. Yeah. On one of my laptops. And kept I was like, persevering with this. <laughs> This one I just watched the goals on the zone. Like I went to the. Top that was the sensible thing. I don't yeah. know how it just was two 0 for Philly. And saying that though, I looked at the stats and San Jose had sixty nine percent possession, but just one shot on on goal to show for it. Yeah, I mean, Philly had six shots on target. Cody Burke finished off a cutback in the twenty third minute. Then Daniel Gazdag finished from the spot in the fifty eighth after a clear handball in the box for some reason. Jackson Yeo was like, no, it wasn't. Your arm was out, dude. <laughs> anyway, 2-0 two, two Philly. San Jose, bleh. Dallas 2, Nashville 0. This was another horrible game. Well, the end, I watched the, the end, whole first half off. Yeah, the, the, I, the, I only watched the end. So I actually just turned on just before the... Yeah, I watched the highlights um, of the second half and that was the way to go. The first goal was the penalty, right? 
Uh, yeah, at eight yeah. first minute. Yeah. It took two minutes for them to decide to do a video review. Yes. <laughs> and then another two minutes for them to score. So it was like four minutes after the foul, and Dallas actually of, took the lead. Wasn't there like seven minutes of extra time or something? Yeah. Nashville had no shots in target for the whole game. Yeah. And yeah. I think they'd have been happy with a nil-nil. Yeah. But yeah, Jared tucked away the penalty. Uh, Velasco scores. I, one of the goals of the weekend. Fantastic Maisie on his debut. Oh, yeah. Took the Isn't ball it? up just inside his own half. Ran in on goal. Ran by about five or six Nashville players. It, it was and like then watching, it. It was like watching a goal in FIFA where you just take the yeah. ball and you run past everyone and it's score. Yeah, that, that's my goals in FIFA because yeah. I haven't quite worked out the passing buttons. <laughs> He's a 19-year-old Argentine. He's Dallas's most expensive signing. He's going to get hyped after that. He might just be worth it. Yeah. Pressure on him, though, to do that every week now. That was his <laughs> debut. Um, Colorado 2, Kansas City now. Mac. Yeah, Diego Rubio. Rapids 1-0 up in the 21st. Then Mac poked at home. A beta shot as well. He poked yes. a beta shot. He was three yards out. KC were pretty disappointing in this one. He yeah, travel I, well sometimes. Yeah, when I was when I was um, looking at the looking at is there a story I could tell for the the match report today? I was like I was I was all focused on okay the whole temperature thing, right? Like you know Houston's usually a bad place to go to because of the heat, but there was no heat, so it was mm. like more of a playing even playing field for Vancouver. And I was thinking about, you know, what other, you know, what are the other things in the league, you know, you know, uh, plastic pitches. And, um, and then I thought, of course, of Colorado, who has the biggest advantage of any team in the league is probably Colorado and their altitude. And they used it to great effect last year. And I felt like uh, the parts of the game that I watched for this, because I watched some of it live and some highlights, I felt that way. I felt like, like uh, Kansas City did not seem like themselves because they were playing at altitude. I might be wrong, but that's what it looked like to me, mm. including your boy. Yeah, he's not had a great start to this season. That's how you finish. That's all that matters. Yeah, hopefully he, he hopefully he turns it up and gets into the Scotland squad. <laughs> well, we're not playing Ukraine now to June, so he's got a bit of time. There you go. Last game on Saturday was Portland 1, Austin 0. The question for this was, how good are, are Austin? Yeah. Because they played two crap teams and they yeah. scored 10 goals. And they were both at home. Yes. On, on this showing... Not bad. 1-0 yeah. defeat. They put up a good account of themselves. And it was a later goal too, right? Yeah, two Aloma off the, the woodwork with five minutes left in the first half, but it wasn't to be denied. Just past the hour mark, heading home a free kick. It was a, a Jimmy Chara free kick. Great header. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I don't know, but I was a little disappointed. Got to say that uh, Jimmy Chara didn't score a bicycle kick this week. Yeah, little, he's let himself go. The Jimmy 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 Chara bicycle kick fan club, I think, is probably a little disappointed as well. Overhyped, but I thought, I mean, Timbers deserved to win it, but Austin they did fairly well. They were good defensively, and mm-hmm. they dealt with a lot that Portland threw at them. And with Drusi, he's going to be a star this year, I think. And yeah, still small sample size. But I think Austin could be a surprise package this year. If they can keep this up, they definitely will be. But they look good. Josh Wolf's got them playing a nice brand of football. It's too bad he's a 1860 alumni. Last game we'll talk about was the first game on, on Saturday. Inter-Miami nil, LAFC 2. 
Phil Neville's coat has to be on a very sugly peg right now because Miami did not look good. <laughs> LAFC well, didn't look great. Most people are surprised he's still there, like, period, right? Like, Yeah, well, he's Beckham's mate. You, you don't get rid of your mate. There was no shots in this game to the 40th minute when Inter had one and Cripple made the save. And then LAFC took the lead in the 45th minute with their first shot on, on target for the game. Opuko ran on to deflect the pass, finished well, but that wasn't all the drama in the first half because two minutes after that into stoppage time, Breck Shea gets sent off for our stupid last man tug. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah, because like obviously you know you're going to get sent off. And so is it worse to get sent off and you, I don't know, like if it honestly, like I messaged you, you and Steve, he just felt like lazy. Mm-hmm. Like that's honestly what it felt like. Miami played better down the man though. They had some yeah. of the better chances at, at the start of the second half. Uh, Arango hit the post for LAFC in the 79th minute, but then they eventually went two up. Ishmael to Jury Strade curling free kick that went in untouched and both teams just managed two shots on target LAFC scored both of theirs Max saved both of Miami's Daniel Henry got his first start for the the black and gold Mm -hmm. we'll we'll come to what this might mean for next week's game shortly but the standings, the Caps are rock bottom one of three winless teams in the west with San Jose and Minnesota Minnesota are playing New York Red Bulls on Sunday. We decided not to wait for that game so that this podcast will come out before that one. LAFC and RSL, they're on top of the heap, seven points from their first three games. Austin, Colorado and Galaxy behind on six. Timbers on five. Dallas holding seventh spot on four, holding the tiebreaker over Houston. It's too early to to really say much but it already looks tough for the white caps you want to get some points on the board and you're looking around at the games coming up and you're wondering where it's coming from and vanny himself said after yes this game he he'd written down that this was the game they could take something from which is a he, concerning thing to say i think his quote was something to the effect of yeah of our first four games this is the one that we i circled as a game we need to win because this is a club that is in the same bucket as us. Mm-hmm. The other three are MLS Cup contenders, he said. Mm-hmm. He's not I, wrong. I, wanted to know I like his honesty. Named, but... I want to know what he named the other bucket. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, yeah, you, you feel feel bad for them. But I, I mean, honestly, the, it's an embryonic table. You need to wait like 10 games yeah. to... They haven't to, kicked the bucket yet. That's true. You need to wait a good like third of the season, 10, 11 games. Oh, ab- ab- Absolutely. And then you'll you'll have an idea. So don't don't be too pessimistic about that. Even if you're rooted to the bottom, like I don't know, Vancouver or even worse, Montreal. Montreal. Well, um, Vanny also said 51 points yes. is kind of what he's targeting. So they, they just need 50 more now. 50 more says. points to go. That's right. What is that? That's well, just 17 wins. Yeah, it's doable. We've got well, totally. we've got 16 more home games. It's a fortress. Just need one on the road and we're good to go. Will that come in LAFC next weekend? I'm saying no. Steve's had to temporarily leave us, so we can't get his his thoughts on the game, but he said no as well. We asked yeah. him before he, he yeah. quickly nipped off. 
I say no as well. I don't think it's going to be one of these six-goal hammerings because LAFC aren't firing on all cylinders yet. Max Repo's not really been tested in his first three games. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think, honestly, the winning mentality is going to win out in this. <laughs> but here's my question for you. Does Youssef know Max Cripo's weaknesses? Yeah, and so do the players. But it, it, knowing someone's, knowing a keeper's individual weaknesses uh, can help you create a game plan and a strategy and approaches on plays and shooting and all that kind of stuff. But you still have to have the buildup. And even though, yes, Vancouver, I think, did respectably better or kind of crescendoing when it comes to chance creation and obviously goal scoring over their three games. I don't, and, and LAFC is still notorious for not being great defensively. They're, they're better. I would say probably this year than last year, Well, definitely better with Crepo. Um, and they have more depth at, I think at center back than they've had in a while. Um, I, I still, I still don't know if those you'll be able to translate that knowledge into effectiveness for the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. If no Brian might be White, I say 3-0 LAFC. Oh. With Brian oh. White, 3-1. Oh, okay. Um, that's interesting. I could I could see, uh, yeah, I could see it being like a 6-0 or 6-1 again, but I'm, I think that's unreasonable. So I'll, I'll go, oh, I, get, I mean, I reserve the right to say that once I see the starting lineups again. Well, yeah, it, it's like, there's got to be changes. Yeah. But- and it's just where they come. I, I like if Godoy's still not good to go, I could see Nerwinski coming back in for yep. this one. Yeah, and totally. I wouldn't be wouldn't be averse to that really, because Flo didn't have a a great game uh, against Houston, and you, you need to try something. Gutierrez for me is definitely in, and I would assume Dahomey is going to still be in as well. But keep keep Guti on the left, yeah, and put I, I know, in the right. I, I know he hasn't used him there hardly at all or at all, but I personally, if you're going to take out flow, I would put personally, I'd put Javane Brown as a side center back in that, in that back three over Jake. But I think you're more likely to see Jake in, instead. Um, Dahomey, yeah. And Guti, obviously, um, obviously up top Kava and, and, or, and, yeah, and let's, white, hope, white. let's hope white. With yeah, gold I, and I, if white, if white's good to go, I assume you'll see a three, four, one, two, and the top will be white and Kava and gold. And so it's just what is going in that middle? That's the big question. Is it going to be for me? I'd put Bearholzer. No, Bearholzer. He has to come in. But this is part of the problem with naming Russell as your captain. And I know they have alternate captains, but like, are they going to sit the captain already? Yeah, have to. Okay, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree I, with you, but I, I, think, I, I don't like want to, I don't want this to feel like we pile on Russell, but I, I he didn't offer anything today. I don't disagree. Well, I oh, I think he, uh, he he played a maybe less significant role in the build up to the goal, um, but I also wonder one of the things I, I, one of the things that I think we saw change between Robbo and MDS versus him with Vanny is I think with those previous coaches, they told him to play more defensive-minded. And there was times last year where I think Vanny gave him more freedom to go forward or outright encouraged him to play more like an eight than like a six. And in this game, it felt like maybe because it's a road game or something, he was told to play more conservative. 
Um, but your but your your critiques are, I think, also fair and valid. I, I actually think Russell will play next week. I think it'll be Bearhalter and Tybert because oh, I don't okay. think White will be good to start. And if Vite is okay, concussion wise oh, yeah. and everything, I think we'll we'll see a front three like we saw today. Yeah, that's and fair. I'd like to see that because I, I think that that is exciting. It's it's too early to judge anything. But I do feel we need to make a couple more signings and get some some strengthening in there. And if that means maybe having to move a couple of pieces as well, although I don't quite know who you'd maybe want to move on. But I've seen enough of Bearhalter to to feel he's worthy of a of a start at least. And then for me if if you wanted to throw in Kyle, it'd be great, but I don't think they will. So it's a toss-up between Tybert and Owusu. I'd prefer Owusu, but I think they'll go with Tybert. Yeah, that's. I think that's valid. One man, though, I think that should definitely be starting is Tristan Blackman. He makes his return to LAFC after joining the Whitecaps in the off-season. And we're going to be back chatting to him after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part is our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of March from Glasgow, Scotland, The Delgados. That was their debut single released in 1995 on their very own Chemical Underground record label. It was a double A-side with Brand New Car, but that was Monica Webster. And their their style, if you heard them last week, definitely changed as they went on. It was kind of more guitar-y sounding earlier on, and then they went a lot more harmonious as their their later albums continued. But we'll get back to the, the football chat now, and we'll continue talking Whitecaps, because we we touched upon some of the positives in the last part from the, the performance. And I think if you look at week one up to week three, one of the positives is defensively, on the whole, it's, it's got better. Obviously, peaking with a, a clean sheet against NYCFC, given two goals up against Houston, but there's there's been a couple of defensive standouts, and for the first three games, Thomas Asal is one of them, Christian Gutierrez is one of them, and Tristan Blackman, the new man to the team, he's come in, he's played in all three games, he's been very solid in this. 
He's going back to LAFC for the first time next weekend. So it's not just going to be Max and Daniel Henry that is facing his old team. So I got a chance to sit down with Tristan Blackman this week just to chat about his move to Vancouver, how he's finding life at the Caps, and look back a little bit at his career and going back to LAFC. So go stick the kettle on, grab a biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our chat with Tristan Blackman. So delighted to, to welcome to you to the show, Tristan. I guess first thing to ask you, how are you finding life in Vancouver as a guy that's kind of grown up in the hot climbs of, of the US and played all your football in California and grew up in Nevada and stuff? How how have you found coming up to, to chilly Vancouver? Yeah, it's definitely different, that's for sure. Um, but no, it's, it's actually not been as bad as I thought it would be. I thought it would be a lot colder. Um, obviously, I'm wearing, you know, the turtleneck right now. Uh, I wear gloves most days, but no, the transition's been good. Um, the guy, the guys make it, you know, much better. So yeah, I'm really excited to be here. When you got here, obviously, you were a little bit away down in San Diego. But how, how much time have you had so far to explore the city, and what have you made of it? What's kind of the favorite things that that you've seen so far? Yeah, no, it has been a little tough to be honest, to get out and do a bunch of stuff. Actually, I'm still waiting for my car to get here as well. So a lot of it's been uh, Ubering everywhere. Um, but no, I've actually, I walked around the city a bit. I, I'm living in downtown, which is nice. I, I'm used to the city life. So that's been a bit welcoming there. Um, I found my coffee shop that I go to every once in a while now. Um, but definitely looking forward to the, the warmer months where I can start to get out and go on hikes and stuff like that. But so far, it's been great. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's told you so far it does get really nice in the summer. It's like, it's what we yeah. say to everyone. It's like, oh, it's fine. Just ignore the rain for the the first three or four months and then it will get better. Yeah. We'll, we'll delve a little bit into your career and, and various things in this chat today. But first of all, the, the move to Vancouver. I, I know you've touched upon this a, a little bit, but when did you first find out that Vancouver were interested in you and what were your what were your initial thoughts to to this trade yeah no I actually I found out I think it was the day of the the trade that happened the day of the draft I got a call earlier in the day um basically saying you know you're going to Vancouver um speaking with my agent and whatnot so that was the first I'd I'd heard of it to be fair um but no look it's a it's a new opportunity for me it's a blessing to keep playing this game at this level and yeah, I basically came here and just wanted to work, wanted to get in with the guys as soon as I could. Um, obviously a little bit ways from home, but this is my new home and I'm looking forward to making it that. So, yeah. Taking you way back then to, to your football career, at what stage of your, your childhood did you realise that you had what it took to, to make it as a professional footballer? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to pinpoint. I've had this question asked to me before. I think as a young kid, a lot of times you're just enjoying the football you're playing. Um, you enjoy going to be with your teammates, going to training, playing games on the weekends. But I think the moment, it was kind of later on when I realized, you know, I maybe could, you know, I can make a run at this, was actually in university, in college. And um, I think it was my my sophomore season, my second year, in college, I, I kind of had a, a feeling, you know, if I really 
I really push myself. I think I can put myself in a position where I can get into the the league or go somewhere to play. And um, yeah, from that on, I kind of put my put my glasses on, blinders on, and went tunnel vision and kind of just started grinding really hard to get to where I'm at. Obviously, um, been in the league a few years, but yeah, I think in university is when I first started getting that feeling for sure. Now I saw that you were you were born in in Las Vegas. Is that where you also grew up? Yeah, born and raised. Yeah. So what was it like then as a kid playing football there? Because it's obviously not known as a as a football city, although by the signs of it, it's soon going to become a, a football city. Right. No. Yeah. It's it's bizarre. Uh, there's not a there's talent coming out of Vegas, but it's not it's not noticed as much as you would think, especially on the West Coast. A lot of it's California, Oregon, a lot of these places. And um, yeah, it was great growing up there. Competition was decent. I was always going to tournaments in Southern California and around around the West Coast uh, as a young player. But I think now it's starting to get a little bit more recognition because we have a few guys in the league now that are from Vegas. And I think people are starting to pay attention and especially with the possibility of a team going there now as well, circulating the that in the news, um, yeah, I think it's something to look at because there are there are a lot of players coming out of Vegas that are very talented. So. Now, you're one of these defenders, and we seem to find so many of them when we chat to them that you started off life as a forward. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did that transition come about, and when did that come about? Because I saw your goal-scoring record at college. Yeah. Were you a <laughs> forward initially? Yeah, no, I played. So I played a forward when I was younger for the longest time. And I think when I was about 14 or 15, a center back on my club team got injured. And my coach thought, you know, Tristan, you know, he could fill those shoes. So for that season, actually, I played as a center back, I'm pretty sure. And it kind of just gave me the a little, I don't know how to put it, but I got more familiar with the position as a, a younger kid. Obviously, I didn't play it for very long. I wanted to keep scoring goals. So I went back to playing forward. Um, and yeah, the first two years in university, I was a I was a number nine my freshman year and then a winger my sophomore season, um, and I was scoring goals. I felt good, and then I had to sit down with my college coach. I wouldn't say a heart to heart, but a real conversation. And they said, you know, we think that you could play right back at a high level going into the next couple of years for us, and put yourself in a place to possibly get looked at by MLS. So. Um, yeah, it was from then on. I've been playing defense. I've transitioned to center back the last year and a half, two years in the league now. Played a lot of right back as well, but I think I've found my my position uh, solidified there um, and feeling very comfortable at it as well. So, Yeah, I guess that's that's the thing. It's like in the draft in particular, a lot of the guys who are most successful, and I know a lot of the guys that we've had here that's been most successful, they are on the defensive side. And... Mm -hmm. That does seem to be what a lot of MLS teams look for in the draft. So making that switch, I guess, makes sense to have a, a career in the league. Just mm -hmm. taking you back to draft day, when you went third overall and there'd been talk, you could even have go, gone higher. But to go to a club like LAFC and to be picked so high, what was that day like for you and your family? Oh, it was incredible. I actually just got the chills thinking about it. I haven't thought, <laughs> thought about it in a while, but no, it was a... It was an amazing day. My family, my close family was there. Um, yeah, what a moment to have your have your name chosen and heard and called up on stage. Um, yeah, something I won't forget uh, ever, but 
yeah, now that I'm looking back on it, what a day uh, to be there with my family, my loved ones, um, to get the opportunity to get into preseason with the MLS club was a big deal. Obviously, nothing is guaranteed. You still have to work to get a contract and that. But yeah, it was a it was a start in a in a good direction for me in my career early on. So. Looking back at your your time at LAFC, it's like four years there, 64 appearances, 40 of them starts. How do you look back at how that shaped you, how that developed your game? Because obviously you were there under a a legend of the American game in in Bob Bradley. Mm -hmm. Learning the trade there and becoming a professional, how did you find that and how did it change your game? I was opened up to a lot of things that I wasn't, uh, aware of as a player at LAFC beforehand. Uh, I think they opened my eyes to a lot of different things. Um, I think I became definitely more mature there as a player and as a person. The coaching staff definitely pushed me to another level. I learned a lot in my years there. Um, yeah, and it's credit to the guys. I think Bob has always had a way of helping manage young players and putting them in uh, a good way to develop and I definitely felt that while I was there, especially with the group of players I was around every year. Even though it changed, there was a core group that was there from the time I was um, drafted that was always around me and pushing me to be the best that I could be and always challenged me day to day, um, which made me a better player all around. So, I always like to to chat to to players about like their their professional debut and their, their professional goal. So you, you made your debut... March 4th, 2018, coming on as a sub, 1-0 win at Seattle. What's your memories of that day? Honestly, I don't even remember my, like, going up to the sideline, really. I have to see pictures because it was all a bit of a blur. It was crazy. Um, But, yeah, what a place to start. start Um, And Seattle's crowd was nothing like anything I'd ever seen before as a, I mean, as a college player, you don't get crowds like that, so just hearing the fans and everything going on. And then the coaches calling you up to go in. Yeah. I mean, it was wild. I think uh, definitely a moment I, I'll remember for a long time. Um, but yeah, what a place to, to start out for sure. And then two months later, you got your first professional goal against Montreal. It was a 4-2 win. What's, what's your memories of that one? Yeah, same. Blur. Blackout, <laughs> I think, for a moment. I, I remember celebrating... And running over to Carlos Vela, who crossed the ball off the corner. But, yeah, the whole game after that was a bit of a blur. You just become, your adrenaline just kicks in so much and you just go, go, go. So I think after the game, I definitely felt more of, okay, yeah, I just scored my goal. You know, my friends and family obviously communicating with me and texting me, oh, you know, congrats and all that. But, yeah, incredible, incredible scenes for sure. Now, you're going back to, to LA next weekend. You're going to be in a different locker room this time as well. Mm. When, when you look back at like the atmosphere down there, I've never made it down to a game there yet. It's one of the stadiums that's on my list. I want to go there. I want to go to Austin because they, they just look amazing stadiums. Yeah. I've seen a lot of stadiums and been around atmospheres in the league, but the one that they've got at LAFC just seems magnificent. As a player playing for them, what was that like? And as a player now going back to face that crowd, what do you think it's going to be like? Oh, it was, it was nothing like anywhere I've been uh, in the league at all. The fans, I mean, from before the kickoff until after the kickoff, just nonstop, always cheering the guys on, 
were always there, you know, for the team, win, lose, draw. It was an incredible environment to be a part of, for sure. Um, and now being on the other side of it, it's going to be interesting. I actually had a conversation with um, one of my my good friends, Tyler Miller, who also played there um, about a week or so ago about his first time going back uh, to the stadium. And yeah, it's, it's going to be, a, I think it'll be a warm welcome, but it'll, I will start to realize what I'm up against because of I had always been on the other side. So now it's like, okay, this is what it's like coming to a stadium like this. But no, I'm really excited. It's going to be an incredible atmosphere like it always is. So I'm, yeah, like I'm really excited to go, go back. It's always good as well if you go to one of those stadiums and you get to quiet the crowd up as well. I I, I imagine yeah. that that'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Last little bit just about LAFC, just because that is the next game. The derbies against the Galaxy. Now, me coming from Scotland, I love derbies. Um, mm-hmm. My team's a small team, so our derbies aren't on a big scale like this. But what was it like being a part of those derbies with Zlatan and everything and all the hype and it just seemed an absolute media circus down there when it was derby time. Oh yeah, it was incredible. That the From the moment the game before the Galaxy ended until the lead up to the game was absolute madness. The city, the fans, the the feeling you get about going into a game like that. You just it's almost do or die, you know, you really feel like that. You have to win over, you know, the city, um, especially playing against the Galaxy. Those games were incredibly intense, felt like everything was on the line. And I think obviously the best game that I had been a part of in the derbies was in the playoffs when we did eventually knock off Zlatan and company. And I think that was a big moment for LAFC um, and its history for sure. But those derbies were there was something to be a part of, yeah. Well, you're one of ours now. You're here in Vancouver. And the start to the season, we're, we're recording this before the the Houston game, so we don't know how that one's gone. But certainly from a defensive mm-hmm. side, the difference from game one to game two was, like, immense. And yeah. what, do, what do you put that down to? I think it's a wake-up call in the first game, for sure, realizing... Look, this it's the start of the season. There's no, it's not preseason anymore where you say, oh, you know, you can brush off a result if you lose. And that I think it was like, okay, we're going into this is the state, like this is the stage now where it's set. There's no excuses anymore. So I think obviously the match didn't go the way we wanted to at all in Columbus. And I think coming home, being with our fans in our stadium, I think that gave a boost to a lot of guys. And I think knowing that our fans are behind us, having that extra little bit of, I don't know if it's aggression or intensity, whatever word somebody wants to put on it, but just the fact that we had to go do something. We had something to prove. And even though we didn't win, it was, like you said, a much different performance from the group. And I think that's definitely something you can build on. Momentum is huge in this league. And I think if you if you steer it in the right way, being – in the past at teams that have used that I think we use this momentum to go in the right way we're gonna we're gonna have a good stretch so and you're playing right center back in a, in a back three in Vancouver and I know you've done that before and you've played right back before 
how have you found the, the system? Do you feel it suits you? And is it going to allow... Because we, we know you can score goals mm-hmm. um, and we know that you like to get forward, but this doesn't really allow you to get forward in that sense. Are you enjoying this role? Is this something that you feel suits your game better? I think it's something that it challenges me in a way that I haven't been challenged before. I, I'm looking at it like that. This is a different system. It's a different staff. So I had to come in with an open mind. It was never going to be the same as what I had come from. So I've done my best to know my role and do that to the best of my ability. Whatever the coach is asking me, if they end up doing some things, maybe they change some things or if they don't, if we stay this way, it's okay. You know what you have to do. How good are you going to be at it? So I think each day in, in training and each opportunity I do have in matches, it's the biggest test that you can have for yourself individually and as a team. So I think the system, like I said, it's a challenge coming from a different system, but it's something that I'm getting used to and I feel comfortable, especially after the last game. So, How different is it? from being a right back to a right centre back in a in a back three like from a mindset point of view how do you have to approach the game differently yeah it is, it is different um definitely positionally i think as a right back i'm definitely more willing to go forward obviously in this system i'm pretty comfortable staying in the back keeping the line strong i think yeah as a right back i was definitely more aggressive in the past just because i had players in front of me to combine with all the time the fluidity with fluidity was different in that team so it worked differently the machine was different now it's okay you're one of the the solidified three so if you're strong back here it makes the people beside you strong and the people in front of you strong as well so it's uh like i said i think my best way to describe it is is it's a different machine but it can be just as well oiled it's just how how good is each individual in the system working together. So, yeah, no, I feel good. feel good about it. So you've come from a club where you had Bob Bradley as head coach. Now, I've spoken to Bob Bradley a couple of times and I find him a prickly character, to to put it nicely. He He's not the most outgoing, fun guy, at least in front of the camera. He might be completely different in the locker room. Vanny, though, just wears everything on his sleeve and he's right out there. How have you found yeah. that kind of difference in, in coaching styles? No, yeah, it's been completely different. And I've had conversations actually with some guys that I've played with and even like my friends and parents about it. Um, two very different coaching styles and coaches themselves like like you said bob bob is very stern gets the message across and once things done particularly and is very clear about that but doesn't have very much he won't like vanny will joke around with the guys every day will come and crack jokes it's like a very lively character and um it's definitely gone I had to get some used to to that because I just haven't been used to that. I've been in one place for four years with the same coach. So it's uh, it's been refreshing. He's a he's a good coach. He loves to be with the guys. He loves to be out on the pitch with like when we're training and doing new things. Um, So, yeah, it's taken some use getting used to. But it's it's, uh, like I said, it's been refreshing for sure. Oh, I can imagine. Whenever like I spoke to Bradley, and it's the same with Brian Schmitz in Seattle, you're terrified of asking what they think is a stupid question because he's just going to like crucify you. So yeah. I, I just always hated that. But 
Awesome. Thank you so much, man. Delighted to have you here. You've been excellent the first couple of games. Hopefully the weather gets a bit nice and you can explore the city a bit more. And good luck down in LA when you go back. Oh, thank you very much, man. I appreciate the time. That's great. Thanks, Tristan. Great stuff from Tristan Blackman there. Steve, what have you made from Blackman's play so far this season? I, I've been very impressed when he's come in. For me, if, if Godoy's going to continue not to be fit, he is the first man in the back line that I pencil in right now. Yeah, um, I was when they, when they picked him up, I, 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 I liked what he did, but I was a little bit concerned because he's coming from an LAFC uh, uh, back line or defence that wasn't very impressive over the over the couple last couple of years but and he kind of fits that back three center back type of mold uh where he's a little athletic he can handle the ball he's because he's he obviously like you said uh we all mentioned before he's a fullback uh, uh before yeah. and so he's kind of been able to handle the ball and but he's he's, he's physical enough at the center back with the other two that he's is he he's producing and and we talked last week about the tackle he made against New York City FC at the late, late in the game, and that was a huge one. Yeah. So so ultimately, I think it's a, a good pickup, and I think they they should have been doing this kind of stuff, like him, Brian White, this kind of stuff earlier, and picking up these kind of MLS veterans that could kind of round the team out and then pencil in some internationals here and there other places. Uh, absolutely. I mean, for me, that is something we've been really bad at doing here in Vancouver since we came into the league, really. And some of the, the plays we have made for league players, uh, they've worked out well. And whatever you think of, like, Freddie Montero and Kai Kamara, they got goals when they came here, guys that are experienced MLS players. The Caps, Zach, obviously thought very highly of Blackman. They gave up a lot to get him. 475000 to Charlotte after they had picked him in the expansion draft. And we've seen in the game against Houston that he can be a threat as well in the opposition box. And spoke in his interview there that he started his life as a forward. I think it's getting to the stage I might just be willing to just stick him up in the box a little bit later in the game, do what we did with Kendall, send him up front. Well, he's not He's not quite that. He doesn't no, have that not physique. quite. Yeah, I, you know, I'll be honest. I was lukewarm about the signing. And even in, even in the preseason, I still wasn't quite feeling it. But uh, yeah, I think he's done more more than enough to make his claim for a spot in the in the back three uh, or in the side period. I think for uh, Vancouver in the early part of the the 2022 campaign, he, I think he provides a lot. See, if you talk about the, ta- the, the some of the good tackles he's had, um, like saving tackles he's had and stuff. Also, you know, against Houston, there was that crunching tackle late late in the game that he put in. Um, but um, no, I, I yeah, I think he's I think he's a quality addition to the team. The one the one thing I will say, which we did talk about uh, in and around when this all was happening, was I I, I I think a lot of people wish that Vancouver maybe spent more money and brought in someone like Alistair Johnston um, instead. Aside from the having too many maybe having too many Canadians away with, on national team duty, uh, I think that would have been maybe a better investment, or it might have been the best if they brought in both of them. But, um, that, that would have been the ideal situation. I mean, obviously, Alistair Johnson has not helped Montreal with their start to the season. So you do need a good supporting cast around these players if you're going to bring them in. 
Yeah. yeah, but they've been doing they've been doing respectably in the Concacaf Champions League at least. Well, yes, I mean there there is that, and it is kind of screwing them over a, a little bit possibly in league play. But I've definitely liked what I've seen from Blackman. Vanny certainly doesn't seem to want to go to a back four, but if he does, he is your right back that you pencil into to a back four. And he is an offensive-minded player, so you're missing that a little bit in his game because he obviously can't do that apart from at set pieces. So Blackman got five assists playing for LAFC. Yeah, over four seasons. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Over four seasons and with a much more offensively focused team with much, dare I say, higher caliber attacking players, right? So, yeah. like, it's a little bit different, right? I mean, I, I just hope that some point soon we are going to see a back three of Blackman, Godoy, and Ranko. Because I, I, I think I've come round to thinking that that is our, our first three that should be in that back three if everyone is fit. But I know, I know we joke about this a lot on the show and like favourite interviews and everything like that. But genuinely, Tristan was such a nice guy to speak to. It was an absolute pleasure to chat to him. We did some fun segments with him as well and they'll be coming up in future shows. Hopefully before he gets traded now. He's the favorite. I know. The, I, didn't, I was going to say to him... When we started the interview, just so you know, you're probably not going to be here long. Um, but Las Vegas don't have a team yet, so I think the chances are they will make a play for him and bring the hometown boy home in when they do come into the league. But we're going to turn our attention away from the Whitecaps for a little bit just now, although kind of bring it back to, towards the end of that. We've got a second feature interview of the show coming up next. We're looking at the CPL. But we're also looking at the team that's going to be playing the Whitecaps in the Canadian Championship as we sit down with Valor FC head coach and former Whitecaps assistant manager, Philip DeSantis. And we'll be right back with that after this. Hi, this is Flo Jungwirth and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the new single from former Artist of the Month here at AFTN from the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia, not British Columbia, The Chats. And that is their new single just released this week. That was Struck by Lightning. And I only found out this week that the chats are actually playing in Vancouver towards the end of May. 
Sadly, that has sold out. I will be keeping my eye on any new tickets that get released for that one. Just to, to add to the artists of the month that we've had at AFTN that will be playing over the, the coming months here in Vancouver. We've got Mogwai in April, Sleaford Mods in May, The Chats in May, and Wet Leg in August. I've got tickets at least for three of those shows, so see if we can get The Chats added to that as well. But nobody wants to be struck by lightning. And they say that lightning can't strike twice, but for the Whitecaps in the Canadian Championship, they certainly have been struck by lightning twice, that lightning being losses against Canadian Premier League sides. They've got a chance, though, to make it third time lucky after this week's draw, which we'll delve into and unpack in the next part. But in the first round of this year's Canadian Championship... Phil DeSantis's Valor FC are coming to town. Will it be third time lucky or third time unlucky for the Whitecaps against CPL opposition in the tournament? It's going to be a, a tough task for them because Phil DeSantis is building a, a very good Valor FC side for the 2022 CPL season to come. Got a chance to sit down with Phil on Friday afternoon just to chat about all things Valor FC. So go stick the kettle on again, grab another biscuit of choice and sit back and enjoy your chat with Valor FC's Philip DeSantis. So delighted now to be joined by Philip DeSantis just to talk about all things Valor FC. Welcome back to the show, Phil. Thanks, Michael. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So you're basically approaching six months in in the job uh, at Valor now. How would you describe those six months? I know half of it was the end of the season and then you've had the the kind of off-season build. How's life in, in Winnipeg so far? It's been good. Look, we decided to stay here all winter to experience the uh, real Winnipeg winter and uh, you know, with my older kiddo being at school, it was it was an easy decision. We said, let's just uh, let's just stay here. There was a lot of work to do as well. So we finished last season. It was great for me to get right back at it. Um, I didn't think that would be the case. Not yeah, some uh, part by choice, but also by time of the year we were in. It's you know not many teams. Uh, make changes to their coaching staff uh, in course of a season. And when they do, they normally choose the easier option, which is the interim tag. So we knew that. And as a family, we said, let's just wait until December. We were still in the under contract with with the Whitecaps. But when this opportunity hit, I learned very quick in football, you – uh, I remember speaking with my agent and he was always talking about, you know, wait a bit, there's going to be opportunities. And I had already a few interviews aligned for other potential jobs in the USL. And uh, and uh, when this hit, hit me uh, about a month after my last game uh, with, with the Whitecaps, um, I learned in football that you have to take what is on the table now because you don't know what the future holds and i'm someone who i love my job i love to get back at it and um just the fact that you you it was also an opportunity for me 
to get in a head coaching uh, job, which was always something that uh, I wanted to do. Uh, so for me, it became very easy. Uh, it, it, it was an easy decision. We all know how last season ended. It was game after game, and we we were uh, at the door of a playoff, and I felt the club deserved that. But, you know, it didn't happen. And at the same time, it was good because it allowed me to go through to, to the offseason with a very good evaluation of the roster and knowing what pieces we would need in order to make the uh, uh, the roster better. So there was a lot of work um, getting to know the the the, the league rules, uh, making sure you comply by the, the by the rules, and it's uh, it's a lot. There's a lot more into building a CPL roster than people think because of those rules. And then every piece that you move also conditions the next move. So it was interesting. Good offseason, good to be back, good to be now in our fourth preseason week. Um, happy that we're going to change scenarios and get to play a few games now. So, yeah, it's exciting and we're, we're happy with the position we're in right now. I mean, you've grown up being used to the cold out in Quebec. I've never been... To, to Winnipeg I hope no. to get there because I hope to go around all the stadiums at some point sell Winnipeg to me what's life like if I if I was a player you're trying to convince to come to Winnipeg what what would you say well I always I always talk about the environment that we create in here first because I uh, footballers they gonna spend majority of their time in the football club and um I feel that we have a very good setup here. I feel that the infrastructures and the structure in which we work in is very good. Players arrive a day at Valor is players will arrive. Uh, they'll have uh, breakfast in their lounge uh, in the locker room. Um, they have um, a massive space for them. They get ready for training. There's the medical room right there. There's the gym inside the facility. We're right at the stadium. Uh, then they train. They train nearby. Right now, we have basically 100 yards uh, to commute uh, just to get to the indoor facility. So we do everything here, but then we go and train, and um, and it's right next door, right next stadium. So a full-size indoor facility, a, a structured indoor facility so uh, we train there then we come back here the guys eat lunch here they they do their rehabilitation here they could hit the gym here so uh, they have everything they need um i wouldn't say that it's yet infrastructures like um like we found in the mls but it's uh it's uh they're very good and um, and athletes want that they want to feel they're taken care of and that's what that's my selling pitch then it's a uh, like every city in the world you know i've been in quite a few now working and uh, you find charm everywhere you just need to be open-minded and i lived the end of the summer uh here last year the weather is beautiful the sky is blue uh, the same with the winter. It's very a lot of sun, very cold, but a lot of sun, and uh, you just uh, you just learn to enjoy it. Like uh, I did my, I had my best zoo experience last weekend with my kids, and it was outdoors in the snow, in the cold, just seeing uh, animals that are used to or that live in in, in cold habitats. So it was. Uh, 
it was great. Like uh, a lot of good restaurants, a lot of good places to visit. So you end up enjoying where where your family's happy and where your um, your work treats you well and you you enjoy going in every day. So I adapted very easily. I'm an easygoing guy. So is my family. So for us, it was easy. And we, we, we actually bought a house here already. We didn't want to be paying crazy rents. So we said, look, let's, um, let's go full in and let's make the most out of it. Well, certainly cheaper to, to buy there and to live there than it is in Vancouver. So in that's Syria, for sure. Yeah. So before, before we look forward, just look a little bit back at the end of last season. So you were in charge for 10 games, three wins, three draws, four defeats, missed the playoffs by a point. That last game against Edmonton, how much does that still haunt you? To go three goals down, I mean, I was watching it, hoping for you, cheering you on as much as I, I've known Alan Koch for years, but obviously they were out of it. So I was wanting you to get in the playoffs. And then when you went three down, I was like, wow. But then you fought back so hard and you're just basically just that one goal away in the end from making the playoffs. Is it still haunting you a little bit? Uh, I, I don't I don't think so. It just fueled our desire to really uh, to really get in and work towards getting in this year, not only because of last year, but also because this club deserves it. I think that it's a club that in has put a lot into this project. I think the fan base deserves it. And for us, that's what, uh, that's the ammunition that we need. Uh, the, the guys were, uh, fell short by a little and, you know, they're all extremely ambitious, ambitious and motivated to succeed this year. So we're working for that. It's when you have a, a league with only eight teams, you realize how difficult it is because everyone is aiming for the same. Everyone is trying to get better and and work their teams in ways where they could get a competitive edge. And we know we'll have to be very good throughout the year. You see, you look at last year, a very good beginning, a very average middle part. And then uh, uh, what I, I would consider a playoff run in the last, last 10 games. I think that if you go three, three and four, um, throughout the season, you could very well be close to 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 that playoff. So um, for for me, you know, it's simple. We it, it was the past that Edmonton game hurt because I don't remember a game where we scored three goals and I didn't celebrate any of them. And that Edmonton was one of those games because it's so inexplainable. You can't. You're there, you prepare the team, you're actually, you feel good about everything. And then you find yourself 3-0 down in, in, in the most important game of the season. But that's part of our job. We'll have ups and downs. And how do we react to those? And how can we affect things to the best of, of our ability? And I think that we all learned um, through through that last year. I think that we learned on how and, and how to go about games that, you know, the pitch is, it's, it's not an easy place to go to. It's a small field. The turf is, you know, inconsistent. And um, and they played a good game. Edmonton played a good game. They, uh, they honored the sport. They were out of it, but they still went at um, trying to honor the, the sport and make sure that they would not give us anything. And I have to give credit to Alan and to uh, 
to to their team for entering the game the way the way they did. It looked at times like they were the ones that needed the win to get into the playoff. And I credit to them. But we we grow, we learned, we. I think the guys are all more mature today due to those experiences. And now we're uh, we're one month away from uh, seeing what what how all of this is going to come together. I think the start to the season and the end to the season showed that you've had a really good core there at the yeah. club. And you look at the, the goals, it was 38 goals for, 36 against. And considering all the clean sheets to start the season, the goals against uh, is kind of crazy. But looking at the goals for, there was three guys, Moses Dyer, nine goals, Austin Ricci, eight goals, William Accio, eight goals. A couple of them are back for, for this season. But between those three guys, 25 of the 38 goals are you looking to try and get more goals across the team so you're not just relying on those core guys? Because you know what a season can be like. It just takes one injury to suddenly derail that. Yeah, uh, yeah. We I just try to keep my head out of, of that. I think that the goals are going to come as a consequence of how you work the team. And, you know, if it's those guys in, that find themselves into those positions, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, both... Dyer and us and um, Willie, they started to score when I arrived. So they obtained majority of their goals in the last 10 games of the season. So that the, probably their success was a byproduct of the way we we use them on the field and uh, which was a little bit different. And I believe that there's going to be other guys in that if one goes down, there would be another another one that would step in and be able to uh, maybe contribute. So um, I look at it like that. I think that we have goals in us, not because of the individuals, but because of the way we we play. I think that the individuals, yes, have a word to say because at the end of the day, they're the ones that need to have the quality to put the, the ball in the back of the net. But I think that... Uh, um, the way we play, the way we approach the game, the idea we have uh, for this team will 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 always make it that we'll 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 have goals in us, um, and and then we um, we just need to clean up things defensively. I feel that I feel that we were third team with more goals, uh, very close to being yeah. second, if if I'm not mistaken. So had we conceded maybe five or six less goals, which were a lot of them preventable, we would have been in that playoff uh, spot. So it may be even higher than the fourth spot. So uh, I think that we need to find a bit more consistency in the way uh, the team's going to defend, in the way we're going to close the spaces, take the time and space away from the opposition, but also limit mistakes that were very avoidable uh, throughout the season and when we look at some of the goals we conceded there's somehow uh, and I'll say it as it is they're somehow childish and and if you if you clean that up uh, well we'll be we'll be in a good spot yeah, you've made a, a key addition in the forward line Walter Ponce 23 year old Chilean he looks an exciting prospect. When yeah. you signed him, you mentioned he's a guy that's got something to prove. Yeah. And that's what this league's all about. And that's what you want as well. You want a guy. Like here in Vancouver, over the years, we seem to have had a lot of forwards that we've brought in with something to prove and they've never proved it. Mm -hmm. So 
th- this guy though seems like he could really be a, a key piece for you this season. He has a lot of quality, Walter. He's uh, he's a player that growing up Chilean national team and uh, or youth national teams, and um, and then um, you know he went to a club in Spain, I think Granada, if I'm not mistaken, and when he came back. Uh, was playing first-team football with Universidad Concepcion, scoring goals and starting, and then started to be deployed uh, deployed a, a, a bit in a different, maybe a, a, as a winger or in wide areas, and it didn't really connect with the new coach. And he ended up being, uh, or finding himself in the second division, where Diego Gutierrez was playing, and that's how his name came they shared the same agent. I know this is a kid that was in the radar of some of the MLS teams uh, in the past. I'm not going to mention who, um, just by respect. Uh, but I think he's a player that could come here and help us a lot. And I think also that uh, Dyer is a good player, will bring a lot to this team, but no player could feel they're too comfortable. No player could feel. So Walter gives us that versatility uh, both him and Dyer are guys that could play uh, higher up and stretching the opposition, but they also have the ability to to link up. And, and so I see them playing together or not, one of them only. Uh, it brings uh, diversity to the team and it brings also um, uh, a little bit of depth into that position, which I feel we needed. One of the other new additions is a guy that I've liked in, in the CPL and I've watched him before in USL, which is Alessandro Ricci. And when I was looking at the stats last night, I can't believe he's only actually scored one goal in the CPL because in my head he'd scored more. Yeah, but, he had, a, yeah, he had a, a concussion that kept him out for a yeah. long period of time. And then, you know, you arrive, you're in and out. It was a challenging season for him, but I know what, the character is all about. I know what that guy is all about. And I think that is work ethic. If he's, he stays healthy, he could be a very, very good uh, player in this league and for this team. So we're excited to see um, where he's going to be. Uh, we, yeah, I could tell you now, because I think that it's a matter of time before they, um, they, uh, they're going to announce it. It's due today. So I think we're bringing back Sean Rea, ah. uh, which is going to be also a good a good addition for us competing in that left side with uh, with Alessandro. You have Brett Levis that is going to be a piece that could play also in, in those wider positions, either uh, lower or higher up the field. Then we, we have a, um, a kid we acquired on loan from um, Real Santander in Colombia, a 20-year-old, very electric, very exciting Colombian player that plays uh, on the wing also, Daniel Ascanio. Uh, and we're, we're on the verge of announcing another, another player that is more of a playmaker that could play as an 8-10, uh, that, is, um, that is in his paperwork process well advanced. So we think we could have him here in the next 10 days. So, so we like the depth that we have now. You know, the, 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 the kid we acquired that was in Montreal, Matthew Catavolo, that's probably going to be with the under-20 national team uh, or, or is one, in one of their pool. Very good player, very clean. So we, we're, we're happy with the depth that the roster has. Uh, I didn't... I, for me, the biggest signature in the centre-back position 
was um, was uh, the return of AJB, and I always yeah. said that. For me, I, it's like our big signing in that position. I was going to say, like you've you've got some key returnees, and Andrew Jean Baptiste is certainly one of them. Daryl Fordyce coming back as well, and Brett Levi. I, I've known Brett probably for about ten years now. Yeah. I just hope he can stay healthy because I. I really like the kid and he's just had such a, a tough time for it but yeah defensively AJB looks like he is going to be a, a key piece and it certainly looks like you're building an exciting attacking team as well I, I don't know if if you can say much on this just now but obviously last year Jonathan Sirwa was a, a key piece in goal for you I'd hoped the Whitecaps might have made a play to try and get him here and there's been murmurs and stuff but is he someone? Can you say is he likely to to be back? Because I'll I'll say he's likely. I'll say he's likely just because I can't publicly say that he will. Yeah. Yet. Uh, maybe if we make a we have another call, uh, not not too far from from here or from today, I'll be able to. But uh, um, yeah, we're pretty confident that's going to happen, and we're pretty uh, pretty happy with. Um, the other goalkeeper that we have here, which is Ryan Yesley, we're talking about a, 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 a very tall goal. We're talking about a six-five uh, goalkeeper, wow. very very tall, the athletic goalkeeper that has impressed us. Um, we drafted him last year, and um, he really came out into preseason very strong. So we're very excited about him. We like the depth, you know. We really like also a Diego Gutierrez. Diego is, I tell him all the time, joking. You're just as good as your brother. The advantage he has is that he was born lefty and you're born uh, right-footed. So uh, there's more of a, a need when you're looking at, at players. There's more of a, a demand sometimes for, um, for left-footed players because they're more rare. And I tell him all the time, that's the only difference between him and you. So we're happy to have Diego there. Yeah. So aside from the league, the draw was obviously made this week for the the Canadian Championship, and I, I mean, what was your emotions when it, it, you're heading back to Van, Vancouver? I, I just as soon as it came out, I immediately thought of you. Well, I wanted I wanted Vancouver, uh, be, but I wanted Vancouver home because I just think it would be great for IG Field and our fan base to to uh, experience an MLS team. I, I think we would have a draw a very good crowd. And I just wanted that to happen for, for us as a club. But if I look at pure emotions and in a selfish way, I actually, you know, looked, uh, I was watching the draw with my wife and she started to laugh, you know, and um, phone starts ringing and buzzing <laughs> and, just normal, but I try not to get too carried away. I think that out of the six possibilities we had, sports-wise, this is the one with the highest degree of difficulty, right? We could have played them home. It would have been the second highest. Uh, then you had the, two, the four other options, Edmonton, Omar away or Cavalry Omar or away. So we got the one with the highest degree of difficulty when it comes to to a pure football draw. But it's also the one that provides the highest opportunity. And that's what I want people to, to realize. It's uh, 
you know, a lot of our staff, a lot of these guys, I've never been in a stage that that big. I've never been or had the chance to to face a, an opposition of that quality. So for us, it's gonna be it's gonna be just a game that we have to go in and and be the best we can be and uh, and 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 see what the outcome's gonna is gonna be like now. Um, of course, emotionally, it's uh, it's a special moment. Um, but like I, I, I said, I answered media yesterday, and I said I have before that game. I'm gonna have five CPL games, and those are the ones I'm gonna focus on. And after that home game against York, uh, leading towards the Vancouver game, then I'll talk. I'll think about the Vancouver game. I mean, I obviously don't need to tell you that the club's record against CPL teams and the competition hasn't been great. I mean, Vancouver are going to be like, oh, because they'll be looking at it as, well, we avoid all the MLS teams to the final if we can go on a run. But for you guys, you knock out Vancouver, you've not got an MLS team in your half of the draw either. So you've got a, an easier route to the final. Yeah, it's uh, it's always how do you want to see it, right? It's uh, I think football is about the moment. So whatever happened to um, to Vancouver, and I was part of both both moments. Whatever happened in previous years, it doesn't matter. I think that uh, I think that this they're gonna they, they they're gonna be ambitious with the cup. I know they are, they are as a club. I know we were last year as a club. So. Um, for me, it's um, it's like I say, it's there's no weak players in that roster, and whoever they decide to play on any given day, it's going to be a very hard game for us, but a game that we need to go out and enjoy. So, um, I we know we know what the draw is, and we know that it's a one game, and that in one game anything could happen. I can't start thinking that if something incredible and incredibly good would happen for us that then you're playing CPL teams until the, I can't think about that because I would be getting way ahead of myself. I just want to think about, like I said, uh, match day one in Edmonton, the four that follow that. And then we'll think about Vancouver when it's time. And I even told my wife, it's, she's, it's forbidden. We can't talk about that game at home. And I know that there's going to be media asking me about it this week because it just happened. But after that, I just don't want to talk about it. I'll talk about it when time comes. That's very fair. I like to always think ahead. I mean, yeah. but we'll, we'll talk about this way in the build up time. I'm, sh I'm sure. I'm sure I'll have two or three fun days leading to that. Oh, game. yeah. Well, there's yeah. so many good stories because there's Brett going back, there's Guti versus Guti. So, I mean, yeah. the the storyline's right itself. But when you look back at your time at Vancouver, the dust settled a little bit now. Yeah. How do you feel about it all? I, I've told this story on the show before. One of my regrets about how it ended for you was after the Pacific game, Mark was coming out to go to the bus and I was going to go and speak to him, but I was speaking to Callum Irvin at the time. And I thought, I'll speak yeah. to Mark tomorrow. I'll let him mull over things. And then I never got to speak to him again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the dust settled now. How do you look back at it? 
I have to, I try to always take the positive. I know they were extremely cha challenging years by design, you know, having to turn around the team in such a small amount of time. And then the pandemic hit and I go back to, um, to a conversation I was having with my wife and she told me, look, we got to go through a pandemic in an organization and in a league that is extremely stable as opposed to being maybe in a secondary division where that, that stability doesn't exist, where there's, you know, cuts in salaries. And, a, and at the end of the day, I'll tell you, Michael, it was such a growth for me, but uh, three years of, of maturing in, in an environment that's not easy. Um, there's, there's, I, I don't regret anything. I, I come to make, I made a lot of friends. I, I got to meet a lot of good people and um, and today I'm a better coach than I was when I stepped in the job and maybe more prepared for the job I have today. But there's one thing that I learned is that football is and will always be about people. It's going to be about your relationships. It's going to be about how you, you, you treat uh, and impact the people around you. And... Um, and uh, for me, it's this, when I see people that connected with me and were part of my entourage in, um, in Vancouver, uh, when I, I see their joy or, or their texts and their messages and how, um, how warm they, they are, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's just possible because while I was there, um, I was able to build those relationships. And, you know, I, did, I don't want to leave a club where people don't speak with me once I've left, because then yeah. it means they respect the guy in the position. It's not about respecting the man itself. And for me, that's how I see it. I'm, I'm glad that people associate me with who I am as a, an individual and not who I am inside my position. Because when you're you know, you're the coach or the assistant coach or the GM or the sporting director or the president, and you're in a leadership position, it's so easy to get accolades. It's so easy. What, what, what's important is once you're no longer that, uh, how much does your phone ring? Uh, and, and how are people still coming at you? And so that's, uh, that's one of the things I'm happy is that I made a lot of friends and people still reaching out from Vancouver and uh, the opportunity it gave me to understand the league. I will be back one day in the, in the MLS one. I don't know when I don't, I don't feel the urgency. I'm very happy right now in Winnipeg, very happy. I'm actually very excited and we want to find stability here. The, the club has treated me extremely well. Uh, the emotions in between the, the, the sidelines and the, the four lines are exactly the same. The, the emotions around the team, nothing changes. I'll, I say this, the league just has, a, MLS just has a little bit more bells and whistles and, and, and coverage and, you know, on TV it looks nice. And, but uh, once you're there working, you know, you work, you give your best and that's... Uh, that's what I take of it. Um, and it's, I think that experiences have, have to be there for you to grow. I, I've just got two last things to ask you quickly. And one of them's kind of touching on that, talking about the bells and the whistles of MLS and stuff. I mean, even in Vancouver, it was tough 
sometimes to get publicity for the team because there's only so much media that covers soccer in this country. In the CPL, it has felt in the past that it's Forge and Cavalry and Pacific that get all the publicity. Some of it because of what they do on the pitch, some of it because their managers are larger than life off, off the pitch. Mm-hmm. Valor's been one of those teams that's felt that you've never got a lot of publicity in the league. York's another one, Edmonton's another one. How have you found it in the community there? Have you found that there's an enthusiasm for the club? How how do you go about growing this team now? There there is. There needs to be more. I think that we're not behind when it comes to to uh to fan base in your community. I actually think Winnipeg has an advantage. It's a it's a big town, right? It's not a doesn't the feel is still a feel of um, it's not like a major city like Toronto, Vancouver, uh, or or Montreal or so so you're you there's a massive opportunity here. Uh, uh, I go to places where where people say hi and recognize me and um, you know it, it there's but there's so much ground still to to work and there's mo- such a big platform and I think that it's only gonna grow. Now, like everything in life, um, you need to, you need to, if you want people to speak about you, you can't just be, you know, you have to work, but you also need to know how to expose yourself and, and present yourself when in a way where it's going to be appealing. And I think that the club um, has massive tools to do that. Uh, it's still very new. The pandemic didn't help. Uh, but the, the biggest thing, it's about winning and winning consistently. Because when you win, then people speak about you. Uh, if you win, even if CPL media or, or broadcasters don't want to speak about you or, or advertise or, or you're not part of the, you know, their magic two or three, they still have to speak about you because you're there and you're winning and you're in a playoff and you're you're bringing titles to the city. So for me, it's like that. Let's do our part. Let's do our part in the community. Let's do our part as an organization and how we market this team. Uh, let's be extremely creative in the way we bring people to the stadium. And then let's be extremely competitive on the field. Uh, and those will be the ingredients that will make Valor uh what I call, um, you know, there, there's teams that just look a bit more sexy, right? And, and it's the same like, like in the MLS, right? I, I yeah. always felt, even in Vancouver, that we weren't uh, that team. Um, example, it's easy to speak about an LAFC. It's easy to speak about uh, the, the Galaxy. And you, you, you see all so many teams that have it's easy publicity just comes to them right um I, I, so so i for me it's it's a simple process win and and do the best you can internally in your market uh, and and you'll you'll have the um you'll you'll hear the noise last thing month to the season kicks off you're heading over to Vancouver Island for more preseason this coming week. You've got a couple of games lined up as well. What does the next month look like for you? So we'll be away for a couple a couple of weeks. We're playing. Um, I think Tuesday we play York. That's also in Vancouver. We play. We're gonna play on that same Friday 
um, the U23s of the White Cups. Um, and then we play Pacific. We'll be back here at the end of the month. Uh, we'll land on the 25th. The guys are going to have two days off, 26th, 27th. And then we'll have about 10 days to two weeks before kickoff of the season. And that's when we uh, we won't have a chance to play games because obviously finding good opposition here in Winnipeg is more difficult or at least opposition that is ready to go at this time of the year. Uh, so we'll be here two, 10 days to prepare our first game. So our trip, uh, our trip in um, to Vancouver, to BC is uh, kind of our phase two of, of preparation. And then the last two weeks will be um, a period where we taper down and we start really focusing on that first game of the season. So that's what the next month is going to look like. Because of these two weeks on the road, it will pass very fast. We know how it is. By the time we get back here, weather will be better. Um, hopefully, we'll be close to being outside, changing scenario again, training here at the stadium. And uh, and we're ready to to start. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what you, your stamp in the team is for the whole season. I'll obviously see you when you're, you're here in May as well. Looking forward to, to that one. Wish you Thanks, all the Michael. very best. Thank you, as always, for your time. My, my pleasure. Anytime, Michael. Thank you. Fantastic. Valor FC's Philip DeSantis there talking all things Valor. Wish him all the very best for this season to come. I feel he's built a very exciting team, especially on the attacking side, to, to take on the task to get into the CPL playoffs for the first time. We'll be back chatting a little bit more Valor and looking ahead to the 2022 Canadian Championship after this. Hey, I'm Brett Levi's, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's another former Artist of the Month here at AFTN from New Jersey, Crazy in the Brains. And that is their new single that was released this week, Eastside. 
And you can check out all their stuff on Bandcamp, crazyinthebrains.bandcamp.com. They've just released a special deal. You can buy all their stuff for a, a special one-stop shop price. And you can also kind of get their CD of greatest hits that I have ordered and hasn't arrived yet, but it is on its way. They did email me to apologise for the delay in getting that out, but check them out. Excellent band. Fun new single for them as well. But we'll get back to the football chat now. So in the last part, we heard from Philip DeSantis. And that's our latest interview in our build-up to the new CPL season that's going to be getting underway in four weeks. We had Rob Friend on a couple of weeks ago, got a couple of other interviews coming up. But we're going to primarily focus on the four Western teams, if you want to look at it that way, initially. So we're going to be speaking to Tommy Bielden Jr., Alan Koch as well, FC Edmonton. Hopefully get James Merriman as well for more Pacific chat. Then if we've still got time in the build-up to the season, we'll kind of move our way more out to the east side, as Crazy in the Brains would say. And definitely Martin Nash is a guy that we've got penciled into to have a chat to. His York United side in BC at the moment played Whitecaps FC 2 in a friendly on Friday. And of course, in these games for the second team's the, all these clubs want the teams to emulate how the, the first team play. So naturally that one finished in a 0-0 draw. But York heading over to the island to play some games as well. As Philip mentioned there, they're going to be taking on Valor in a friendly on Tuesday. So we might end up bringing out some additional more than once a week shows just to make sure we can get all our CPL pre-season coverage in. But... We'll chat a little bit about Valor in this part, and then we'll chat a little bit about the Canadian Championship draw as well. So I feel, Zach, the squad that Philip DeSantis has put together for this season, I think it's a it's a strong one. I'm still not sure how they messed up last season after such a, a solid, strong start. All those clean sheets that they, they put in, Jonathan Serrois playing out of his skin... It, they missed the, the playoffs by one goal, one point. It basically all boiled down to. And I think with the additions that they've made, they've still got that attacking threat. They still look good defensively. I think this could be the year that they are a top four team. They're in the playoffs. They're going to be close if they don't actually get there. Yeah, I mean, I, just knowing Phil a little bit uh, and knowing, obviously, his fa- his family knowing how they approach football, I think that it's going to stand. And it, I think you, you saw it in phases at the end of last season. It's going to stand them in good stead in terms of just being like competitive and organized and um, yeah, having a different approach, I think, than under Robin Gale, who I also, you know, appreciated and had a, had a had an interesting approach as well. One, one thing, one question for you, Michael. Now I know it's, the number is not crazy, but uh, as, as Phil was talking about, some, he, they brought in a number of different um, players who seem like more, for the most part, more attacking kind of creative players. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess the defender as well. But um, do they, like, I don't know, do they seem like they have a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, uh, you know, the CPL is like by Canadians, for Canadians, and it's Canadian centric and stuff. Do they... Does it seem like they have too many, like new players that are from, or, or is it maybe it's too many key players from outside the country? Not, not that you could have too many of that, but you know what I mean? I, I well, don't know. Their current roster is 12, uh, nine Canadians listed at 12 from other countries. I now, guess that people, is quite a lot. That, that, that could be some people are just like 
their nationalities now. Maybe they do have like. Well, yeah, because you've got like William Accio is like raised here in Canada. He played for Foothills and PDL. So yeah, although... he counts as Canadian for yeah, for yeah. But he's he's listed as nation as South Sudan. So... Yeah, because he he just made his international debut for them. So I mean, you've you've got stuff like that as well. I I don't know. I think you do need a good mix, and the the league's at the stage now that. I think it is a time time to bring in some more international guys. Walter Ponce, this Chilean forward, I, I think is an exciting prospect. I mean, defensively, Andrew Jean-Baptiste is going to be yeah. a, a key player for them if he can stay healthy. My, yeah. my main concern for Vala, though, is the midfield. I think they're strong in attack, they're strong in defence, and much like the Whitecaps, the midfield could be could be the worry for them. Well, that's where this Moses Dyer that, that he talks about, I think, is going to be an interesting player. Yeah, he led their scoring last year, though, with nine goals and five assists. Right. So you kind of want to get a lot of offensive output from him. Um, defensively, having Jonathan Sirwa back, it's now confirmed because he couldn't confirm it during the interview. And then the press release came out that, Montreal were loaning him for the season yeah. halfway through our chat, but I hadn't seen the, the email while I was talking to him. That is a good addition for them. I still wanted the Whitecaps to make a play for him. I believe the Whitecaps did get in touch with Montreal about him, but Montreal weren't keen to to let him come to Vancouver to play second fiddle to Thomas Asal, even on loan. And I think, rightly so, you want this guy to be playing. He He's earned to be a starter somewhere. Oh, for sure. And, and, and if you're going to loan somebody out, you're not going to loan somebody out to be a backup where he could be a backup in your club. You want you want the playing time, the experience to be on a, on a team like this. The, the guy I'm like, obviously, I like. You, I don't know if you mentioned him, but Diego Gutierrez uh, is an interesting pickup as well. With, uh, well, yeah, he's back after a season away. So yeah. that's Christian's brother. Yeah, he's back. And then um, I think the uh, thing is, is how healthy Brett Levi's is going to be. I was yeah. going to, oh, that yeah. was exactly what I was going to ask you, Steve, because like yeah. you've watched Brett, like all of us, a long time, for yeah, 10 years now, maybe more. I just, I hope, <laughs> no pun intended, I hope he can catch a break this year and that break being not an injury break and that he actually stays healthy. He needs to for his career, but he could be such a key player in this midfield role if that's where they maybe go with Brett this year. Yeah, and then the last guy I think would be interesting would be like uh, old man Fortis, uh yeah. to see like uh, like he's almost like I don't know how much he played last year on the pitch, but he'd be interesting because he's almost like a coach on the field. Yeah, Daryl Fordyce had a had a, yeah. a good season. He is a, he's a key returnee, I, I think, for them as well. They yeah. got him as a striker, but I don't think he's going to score that many goals. It's more like uh, setting things up and setting up with the attack and stuff like that. Yeah. They, they've actually been one of the teams that I think, I mean, I think all CPL teams have done okay at, at, at loan deals, but um, Valor, for some reason in my mind, just stands out as, as doing doing pretty good business because they had James Pantamus, didn't they? Before? Yes. Then Sirwa, and Sirwa's coming back. So they've done some deals with Montreal. And then they had, um, I'm going to get his name first name wrong, but Dunn, a TFC mm. uh, defender. And now mm -hmm. this year they brought in Dunn. They brought in Rocco Romeo on loan from TFC as a center yeah. back too. I'm wondering to see how, if he'll be able to like contribute in the ways that I think like Dunn did in the I think it was the Island Game season. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think they've done overall pretty good business in that way because I think you you know in the CPL you have to bring in quality loans and if you can bring them in from like domestically, I think that even helps you even more. 
I think it's Julian Dunn you're talking about. Yeah, yeah Julian Dunn, that's it, yeah. Right now, I've got Valor penciled in as fourth. I think the I think they've got it. They just need to string results together. Use the home field advantage that they used so well during the 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 start to last season, although obviously that was very different kind of circumstances. But I, I think I'm excited to see what kind of team Phil builds there because he's had the whole offseason to kind of shape it. He's had this preseason to work on their style. And it, it, it's going to be exciting to see what he can do in his first full season as a head coach. And as general manager there as well, he's got full control of everything. So I, I think they're definitely going to, going to be right up there. And of course, as we talked about there, Phil is going to be making an emotional return to Vancouver in May for the first round of the Canadian Championship, bringing his Valor side to face the Caps at BC Place. He talked in the interview there that he's going to ban all talk of that game until the build-up to the game, because he's going to have five league games before that, and, and rightly so. You, you don't want to look too far ahead, and it's... Talk about it now. The draw's been made this week. That's to get it out of the way and then just focus on, on this league campaign. But I think Steve Phil knows more than anyone what a banana skin this tournament is to the Whitecaps when it comes to CPL teams. Yeah, could he take advantage of the banana skin instead of being the victim of it? It would be interesting to see the Whitecaps play them because it would be like almost like you're wondering, is this going to be three for three? But but whatever the case is, it's like uh, it's almost like Valor's turn to see if they could beat the White Caps yeah. as well and see what happens. Well, I mean, there's some great stories around the game, which obviously will come to in the build-up to it, which is like PDS returning, Brett Levi's returning. You've got the Gooty versus Gooty matchup, which is is going to be a nice story as well. And Phil talked there that he said to Diego Gutierrez, "Look, the the only thing that's stopping you getting on as good as your brother." is the fact that your brother's left-footed and those players are a lot more in demand. And I was going to say to Phil, have you not seen that we're playing on the right side now? But I thought, well, <laughs> we, we won't go into that conversation just, just quite yet with him. My, my big disappointment, though, in this, Zach, and I, I'm saying this despite the fact that I don't have to travel then to see the game, I would have liked it in, yeah. in Winnipeg. I still think the lower-seeded team should host which I, I know they don't do in that many countries. Some countries do ha, have yeah. cups like that. And this was a fair fair draw. I still think that maybe to appease the white caps with not getting that first round by, their ball was maybe a little bit hotter or colder than the other <laughs> balls so that they they got pulled out first to get that home tie. Who, who, who could say? We can't cast aspersions like that. But yeah, I would have liked Winnipeg to be hosting this. Yeah, and you could hear it there in Phil's voice. That was the one thing he wished, you know, had gone differently in in the process. But well, it's all yeah. about growing the game because that helps grow the game. Look at the buzz you get in Winnipeg. Oh, an MLS team's coming to town. Oh yeah, does it ever? It's yeah, it's uh yeah, it's exciting. Um, and yeah, but I mean, for for Phil, hopefully they go through and they can, they can host some games down down the way, um, in the in the V's Cup. But uh, yeah, I mean. That'll be. I think that'll be an interesting occasion at BC Place and to see where things are at. Like, will people in Vancouver get behind the Whitecaps because they know they've struggled in the competition, or will it just is it something that most people will kind of still ignore because they don't understand or don't care about? Or I think that I would not be expecting. It's a, a midweek game, a CPL team come in. If they break ten thousand, I'd be delighted in that. Although they they do have around nine thousand season ticket holders, Axel confirmed before the season started nine nine and a half 
So maybe 12, 13, but that's if everyone shows up for it. I, I still don't think for a lot of the casual fans, this tournament is a big draw. I find that very disappointing, obviously, because I love cup football. doesn't help that the games are in one soccer, so folk aren't seeing the games either, just as the casual fan. But yeah, I mean, it's a potentially great draw for the Whitecaps, Steve, because if they make a run, and I know that's a big if with the history in the tournament, but they would avoid facing an MLS team till at least the final, and then depending how the other half plays out, they might not even face an MLS team in the final. So in that regard, this is possibly the best draw that they got, and they would be hosting a semi-final if they got to that, and they would be hosting the final if they got to it. So great for them, but the flip side of that, knowing the history in the tournament, the CPL teams, especially like Cavalry and Pacific, who's already knocked the Whitecaps out, they're going to be licking their chops at the possibility of this as well. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't know if it's a good thing for the Whitecaps uh, that they don't play an MLS team. They might have a better shot at this this point. Um, I I think that they're just going to take, they're going to have to, like, if they want to get to the finals, they're going to, they're going to see the best of the CPL team every single time because every single single one of those CPL teams want to show that they belong with at the MLS level. Oh, and they'll the all be putting out full-strength teams. I, and, I and, guess and, that's and, the thing because against an MLS team, they probably wouldn't be. Yeah, and the thing is the players will be up for it too because they want to prove that they can play at the MLS level as well. What's uh, the chance to impress and maybe get a deal? Exactly, exactly. So for me, like, while it, it's a good thing on paper, uh, it might not be a good thing on the pitch. Yeah, I, I think the the one thing that most people have talked about in this, uh, or sorry, one of the big things that people have talked about out of the draw is the fact that there will not be a Toronto Montreal final this year, which yeah. I think is a positive thing. Um, I, or a I hope... Toronto Forge final. Right, right. Um, you can only have one of those a year, I think, right? You um, only have one of those every couple of years, apparently. <laughs> Can't even have it the year they're meant to have that. No, but I think, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I think it's okay, and I know they only sort of did it at the, the beginning or whatever. I think regionalization of a, a competition like this is okay for a period of time, just long-term. I think in the same way the CPL is public long-term vision is to have relegation, promotion relegation. The long-term uh you know, perspective for the Voyager's Cup needs to needs to be regional is good for now, or regional is good when when you have like uh, League One BC, you know, Ontario League One Ontario and, and the Quebec League and and hopefully other leagues after that. Um, maybe that's good when those teams are started off and they're regional, but long term, like it needs to be like a true, fully open oh, single yeah. match knockout draw where you can draw anyone and anyone can be the host and. That, that kind of stuff. But but I'm okay with how they did it this time uh, because of, you know, where we're at in, in, the, in the larger picture. Yeah, because teams are getting buys to the quarterfinals, it makes it tough to have that open draw right now. We need 16 teams, ideally, in this to be able to have it as an open draw. League One BC champions at some stage will be entering this. It I'd be amazed if it's 2023. I don't see that happening. From what I've heard, they want League One BC to have a couple of seasons under its belt, have a bigger season under its belt, and also to have more teams in it as well before they kind of have them in the Canadian Championship. I don't agree with that. I think they should just be in it. But you do have a problem that you have a league 
that would be run May to August. So could these teams... And the amazing thing that if they went deep, would they be able to, to play in the final? Would they be able to play in Champions League? And you've actually seen that kind of locally in in the Provincial Cup in BC and the VMSL. There's a, there's a team VUFC Hibernian, which is basically UBC Thunderbirds VMSL team. So they're not taking part in the Imperial Cup this year because they want to be preparing for the League One BC season as Varsity FC. And also they said there was no point in, in taking part in the Provincials because even if they won it, they couldn't go and represent BC because they'd be right in the middle of their U-sport season. So I, you've got these weird things in Canada. I'm pretty sure I could guess what some of the other stipulations are for League One BC joining the Voyager's Cup, but I, I won't speculate on that now. <laughs> Let, let's quickly look at the, the rest of the draw. So in the Western side, we know it's Caps and Valor in that first round. And the, the other first round tie, and I'm calling it a first round tie, it's not a preliminary round, it's the first round. What is wrong with calling it the first round? I don't get that here. Anyway, I'm, I'm going, with you on that. I'm going off on one of my rants. But it's Cavalry hosting Edmonton. It's uh, another Alberta Al Clasico. No. Al Al Cla- Al. 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 Al Clasico. Um, whoever wins that one is going to host the winner of Caps or Valor. Now, that I didn't understand because that was match two and they were selected to be hosting the winners of match one. Why would match one not be hosting and be at the top of that bracket all the way through? That I didn't get. But if, if if the Caps beat Valor, looking at how things are going with teams, I'd imagine they've got another matchup with Cavalry coming, and that'll be sometime between May 24th and 26th. I'm going to go through to that, enjoy my trip through to Calgary the last time. Getting way ahead of myself here. In the <laughs> East... In the first round, Ottawa are at home to York in an all-CPL affair. The winner of that one will travel to Pacific in the quarters. So that's a good draw for Pacific, I feel. Forge are at home to Quebec Premier League champ CS Montreal. Again, I would have liked the, the Quebec side to be hosting that as the lower seed. The winners travel to take on CF Montreal. So that could be a, an all-Quebec quarterfinal, which would be quite the thing if they can if they can get that done. But getting past Forge is going to be a, a, a tough ask, I feel, for them as well. You're probably looking at Montreal Forge in that quarter, which is going to be a, a rematch of the dramatic semi-final from last mm-hmm. year. League One Ontario champions, Guelph United, do get to host us. I was delighted for that. They're hosting Halifax Wanderers. And I spoke a few shows ago about, I'd read an article that it was going to cost them about 10 grand to bring their stadium up to standard to host a game for broadcasting and everything that goes with it. So, fingers crossed, it proves to be really worthwhile for Guelph. But that's the magic of the cup. You want these teams to host. And if they can get by Halifax, they'll be hosting TFC as well, which is tremendous. Don't they get some money for just being entered into the cup or something like that from... I don't know. I'd imagine they would. You do in other yeah. cups around the world. It's it's also it's the first appearance in the tournament for both Guelph and CS Montreal. So I, I like when when teams are making their 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 debuts as well. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. But we'll see how it all plays out. We'll see what happens in the future with League One B B C teams as well. But I just love this competition. I just hope more folk can can get on board with it. And yeah. The Whitecaps hosting the final at BC Place. 
getting into the Champions League, everything would be right with the world, wouldn't it, Zach? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that is pretty much it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. But of course, we cannot go without bringing you this episode's wavelength. And we're going back to an album that we featured a few weeks back. It's a 2021 album called All You Need Is In Love from English band Armchair Loyal. This is a song all about managers using football cliches. We need to get back to doing our our football cliches section at some point. I enjoyed doing that. It's got a very Sleaford Mods feel to it, former Artist of the Month here at AFTN. This is their song, A Cliché of Gaffers. I once met Mick McCarthy He said what's all the fuss The only thing in football you need is how to park the bus I was queuing for my meeting Of sociopaths Alapardu was up the front shouting it's a game of two halves I'm going to sell my double And buy a single bed Cause every night Owen Coyle shouts put it in Rosette it's only one depressing mining village, nil. Boring East Midland Urban Sprawl, nil. Dismal West Country Market Town without a market, one. I love to hear the bird song until Glen Roller rocks up. Shouting at my feathered friends, they need to pull their socks up. I turn my speakers up to ten when I'm watching television to drown out Alan Stubbs complaining that he's seen them given. Parts of London suburb that's got pretensions beyond its station, nil. Dreary seaside resort that we went to every year until I was 15, three. I'm teaching myself maths so I can prevent Steve McLaren popping round saying 110%. Never in my life would I use the word soccer, even if Christian Grove said I had it in my locker. Muddle of terraced houses that escaped the roof buffer, twins of the town in Belgium that no one can find. Nil. Felix Toe, one. Motherwell against Dundee United was postponed because of a power fail. Motherwell against Dundee United was postponed because of a power fail. Motherwell against Dundee United was postponed because of a power fail. Motherwell against Dundee United was postponed because of a power fail. I never saw the incident. We're too good to go down. One or two players short. Take one game at a time. A psychological blow. Armchair Loyal there, a cliche of gaffers from their 2021 album, All You Need Is In Love. And I finally got their CD this week. It was another one I ordered in Bandcamp that had been a little bit late in getting sent out. But check it out on Bandcamp, armchairloyal.bandcamp.com. 16 tracks, all about football. And naturally, we'll be bringing you them all on the show over the coming weeks and months. But that is it for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go, any final thoughts, anything you learned this week? Where can folk find you online, Steve? You can find me on Twitter at Whitecap Speed. And what I learned this week is 
Um, maybe not always hire the coach that uh, maybe drops an f bomb and puts their cat online on Twitter and Instagram. Maybe it's not a formula for success. Hopefully, he proves me wrong. But Zach, what about yourself? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM. And um, I don't know. Uh, I guess this week I learned the fate of uh, the Canadian clubs in the Voyager Cup, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that all unfolds. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online at AFTN Canada on Twitter. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And give us a like, subscribe, turn on notifications on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. If you'd like to leave some reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, any of the places you get podcasts, it'd be very much appreciated. We've had some very nice reviews left of late and we do appreciate that. I, I've just learned that doesn't matter how far out of things you can be, there's still hope. East Fife have shown that in Scottish League One. I'm sure the Whitecaps showed that last year and they might have to show it again this year. We will be back with another show soon. Until then, thanks for listening. Take care. And mon the Caps! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Yeah.